Genre. digs deep into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's biggest film franchises. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm Nick Jimenez. Today we are concluding our mini-series on the Scream franchise with the long-awaited sequel and proposed franchise reboot, 2011's Scream 4. And we have a guest joining us to talk about trilogy proposals, alternate endings, and a literal return to Woodsboro is film critic and fellow podcaster Kate Sanchez. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. So tell me about your background with the Scream franchise. When did you first see it? Um, You know, how do you feel about the franchise as a whole? Uh, This is honestly one of my favorite franchises in all of horror. And the first time I saw it, I was too young to see the reveal of Drew Barrymore. My mom actually covered my eyes. And so (laughs) for a few years after seeing the first Scream, I thought that it was something way more horrific than it was. Not that it wasn't bad, but like... My childhood brain was like, oh, no, that has to be absolutely terrible because my mom covered my eyes. But (laughs) uh, I've spoken on it a little bit online, but like horror has kind of been the language that I've used to communicate with my mother because she loves the genre. And so Scream was an easy and accessible horror movie for both of us to kind of understand and really love together. And and it's really weird because, I I mean, I've watched... uh, ghost movies with her and other i don't know like this i've 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 tried to watch different types of subgenres but there's something about slashers and there's something very specific about scream that it was a movie that she felt that she could show me when i was really young which meant that i got to watch the entire franchise with her and we've kind of bonded over it um beyond that Scream has always been just what I love about film. I love meta narratives, and I think everybody who has a podcast who talks about film knows that they're the Randy of the group. And so for me, it was very much a a, a world I could really easily get into and kind of like fall in love with. And it was of my generation in, in a way that I understood everything way more with this slasher than I did the slashers that my mom or like my family had shown me before still love them but like Mm -hmm. scream it feels like me yeah yeah well what did you think about this one because i mean this one's coming out to 11 years after the previous film and and when this was getting released what was the ramp up to it for you i was excited this is the i think this is the only one i've actually seen in theaters 
Mm. And so that I, I was excited for it. I, I went and I saw it. And ever since I was little, like, I know everybody loves Sydney Prescott, but I love Gail Weathers. Gail Weathers is yeah. my girl. Um, and there was something about her in this one that I loved a lot more, just because she's even more abrasive, but she's right most of the time. Mm-hmm. And rewatching it as an adult, this movie, as much as the hype that I had going into it when it first came out, I never understood why people didn't like it. And then rewatching it with like 2020 lens, it was ahead of its time and it nails so many things that could easily be, you could redo this movie with 2020 tech and it would work even better than the first time that it ran. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Nick, do you remember seeing this for the first time? I did. I saw it in theaters with my college improv troupe. (laughs) We had a great time. Yeah, I, I, so I was highly, highly anticipating this with, you know, the Scream franchise being one of my absolute favorites. And this was something I was following basically (laughs) religiously for, you know, the three years that the news was coming out about who was cast and things. And I wanted to make sure that my boy Kevin Williamson didn't get done dirty this time around. And, uh, it was it was interesting watching those early casting announcements and then having people drop out and being replaced and that was a whole thing that was going on in the news and I was a little worried about it but I was still amped because you know the posters came out and Kevin Williamson's name was still on it so I was like okay it's still a Kevin Williamson script you know Wes Craven's directing the gang's back this is going to be this is going to be good and I made the mistake of tweeting about my excitement about the movie and um some dick replied and told me who the killers were. Oh. And uh and you know, the thing about Scream is like being a Scream fan, the thing that you're most excited about is watching the movie for the first time and trying to figure out who the killer is because that's not yeah. a repeatable experience. Like yeah. you never get that feeling again. And that asshole just ruined that they they just stole that from me, yeah. which to this day I'm very bitter about. And it's why I don't talk about the new Scream online very much, because I'm gun shy. <laughs> you're, you're like Sydney Prescott in Scream 3. You <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we did a Scream marathon, uh, I think last Halloween, because we do Discord watch parties for a whole bunch of movies. And I had a very strict spoiler warning. Like, you do mm-hmm. not speak spoilers. You say nothing. Because I was, I was really excited. I got to watch... I got to watch it with people who were experiencing Scream for the first time. And whenever it came around to those things, like, oh, do you remember? I was like, no, we're not going to do this. We're not going to talk about who the killer is in any of these because that is, that's the moment in these movies. Yeah. Um, but I'm genuinely happy that, like, I don't know, film for me is something I've always loved, something I've always talked about people with, like, in video stores or with, like, my friend group. But I never consumed media really about it until I was a part of it. So, Mm -hmm. like, I never followed casting announcements. I would watch trailers, and I wasn't actually online, you know, like, like online quotations until I started my podcast now, like four years ago. And so like, it's like, it's wild to me because I did not know any of the stuff that you just said about screen four. Cause I, I was just like, Oh, this coming out. This is dope. This is going to be awesome. It's like, okay, well guess it's not coming out this year. And that was at least, that was the one thing that I knew. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to go into it completely just blind and no input from the public whatsoever 
Yeah, yo, you're very lucky. I definitely went to, I, I think I went into the other sequels like that, certainly the first film. But yeah, this one, I was just, I was too obsessive and wanted to know everything because I was so excited. You're too close um, to the sun. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So I had a very weird experience watching this the first time because I had been told who the killer was, but part of me didn't want to believe it. So I was watching the whole movie just like staring at Emma Roberts like... Okay, how is this going to work? If, if she, was he lying to me? Was he telling the truth? And uh, and trying to figure it out. And Because ultimately... it almost sounds like a fake answer. It yeah. does, right? Because she's like the main character of the movie. So it, it definitely seems fake. And she plays fake. it well. She does. And it doesn't even feel like there's a lot of smoke and mirrors around her. She It's just smartly written to where you just don't even think about it. Mm-hmm. And there's not so much build up around like, oh, well, we're going to we're gonna throw this red herring in here and keep you away from her. She's going to go like it, it's not overt at all mm-hmm. um man i feel bad for you like I real know. bad yeah. well well on the bright <laughs> side on the bright side the bright side of 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 me seeing this movie for the first time it was also the first date with my current fiance so Aww. so we've been together 10 years the, with the opening weekend of scream 4 was our That's our 10th awesome. anniversary and and also when i asked her to marry me so That's amazing. Um, it was yeah so like <laughs> i have this weird connection to this personal connection to this movie not just because the scream franchise means so much to me but because it's directly related to uh to my fiance. So. I uh, this was my first year in undergrad, and I bribed my I bribed my doormates with pizza so that they would go <laughs> watch it with me because I don't like watching movies alone ever. I don't even care if somebody likes it; like I just don't want to watch it by myself because sure. it's like a communal experience for me. Like the number yeah. of screeners I forced my husband to watch during quarantine because I just needed the experience of talking to somebody about them is very yeah. high. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, well, let's get into the the development of this. I was going to say, I mean, like, listeners, I would definitely recommend going and checking out our Cursed episode. Yeah. Because the relationship between Wes Craven Mm -hmm. and Dimension seemed to be in shambles. Yes. Um, It was real bad. So going into this, you know, in fact, Cursed really um, messed up Wes Craven's career. I mean, it took him six years to get another movie off the ground or, or five years to get the uh, My, My Soul, Soul to, take? to Take off the ground. Yeah, because it was like cursed and then nothing until My Soul to Take. And then My Soul to Take, you know, wasn't exactly um, uh, a celebrated film in his filmography. So celebrated by me, to be sure, but yes, not, not, yes. not general audience. That's very true. Nick loves it. I love it a whole bunch. I rewatched it the other day on Hulu, and I was like, what's this? And I was like, oh, wait, no, I remember this one. This one was good. It's so, it has such a fun, interesting mythology, mm-hmm. and it's so, I don't know, it has such a cool vibe. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he basically, um, Kevin Williamson wrote uh, or had an idea for a Scream 4, and it was based on his original idea for Scream 3, um, which was, you know, the original ending, for those of you who don't remember from two weeks ago, the original ending of Scream 3 is that from prison, uh, uh, Stu Mocker was going to be orchestrating a sort of occult fandom of uh, killers who were uh, uh, just kind of fucking with Sydney the whole movie. Um, and uh, and that uh, they were doing it because they wanted material for a third stab movie. They wanted it to be based on a true story rather than made up because that, that sounds like bullshit. And, you know, just like real 
cool scream, weird meta textual stuff, which I thought was going to be really interesting. But instead of going that angle, they they threw his script out and started over after Columbine and all of that. And so when he went to do this, he was like, well, what if instead of it being a group of people, it's one person who wants to be famous? and wants to be the new Sidney Prescott, but the only way to make that happen is to manipulate the world into making her a victim. And they decided that that would be really good, but the most interesting thing would be if she gets away with it, and that the trilogy is about her getting away with it. And and so, yeah, that was the original pitch for this new trilogy of films, which was going to be, you know, the reveal that she's the killer in this, and then two sequels where she's getting away with it and then eventually, you know, gets gets justice. And and Wes loved the idea and was like, okay, we're going to do this, but we're going to go in guns blazing at Dimension and be like, you're not messing with our movie this time. And, uh, you know, good old Bob Weinstein, you know, that really great person, uh, agreed and was like, yeah, I'm not going to mess with your movie again. And for some reason, they believed him. And so they took this script and Kevin Williamson wrote it, rewrote it exactly one time. And the original ending ended with her just being Emma Roberts, just being taken away on the gurney and with the cameras flashing and everything. And that was going to be the end of it. And it was going to leave on that cliffhanger. They asked him to rewrite it, and so he rewrote it so that it had a little bit more of an extra ending um, of of uh, just sort of like a what if, maybe Sydney did survive, that kind of thing. And then at that point, they asked him to rewrite it again and, and add more lightheartedness because he didn't think that the tone matched Scream 3, and Kevin Williamson quit. He quit, and then Aaron Kruger came in and did an uncredited rewrite on the whole movie. And that's why this movie's tone is this weird amalgamation of like OG Scream Scream 2 and the really silly, campy yeah. kind of tone of Scream 3. And that comes from Aaron Kruger. Aaron Kruger wrote the whole hospital sequence, which was done in reshoots, because they still shot it with the cliffhanger ending of her being taken away. Um, but then the entire hospital sequence was shot in January, and then the movie was released in April. So very, very late in the game. Yeah, don't fuck with the original. Makes a little bit more sense than it's your turn to scream. Yeah. 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 But it's the same kind of flavor. Right, right. And then and then, you know, and then just stuff like the the whole like um what is it? Shriekwall or scream make thing. That was good old Aaron Kruger. That was not a Kevin Williamson original. So there was like a few things like that. Uh the only thing that Kevin Williamson did eventually add was that the Original opening took place with Sydney at a dinner party with a bunch of people. Ghostface kills everybody, including seemingly her, and then the movie skips forward three years, and you don't know what the situation with that was. And so the idea, I think, was that Emma Roberts' character, Jill, did do that. The came to the the dinner party and and killed a bunch of people and then was just sort of sitting on her hands. I think originally she was going to be college aged, not mm-hmm. high school aged, and they decided to just change it because I guess they were like that three year gap is a weird thing and we should we should not do that. So he rewrote the opening that we have in three days, just like over a weekend. Mm. Just was told that the that he needed to rewrite the cold open, uh, and then came in on Monday with the whole like stab within stab within stab opening. 
which uh, is really silly, but I think works really well. It works and it's like so a, well. It's yeah, one of my yeah. favorite thing. It's one of my. It, I mean, it doesn't top the original cold open in one, but like it is still like something that just hits very different. Especially again, and I said it already. This movie, Scream Four, works so much better in 2020 context with the mm-hmm. amount of reboots, remakes, and sequels that we currently have going on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so that's that, you know, that all happened. Lauren Graham was originally cast as the Mary McDonald character and had to drop out uh, and was replaced by Mary McDonald, which Mary McDonald is her character is kind of like airy and like silly kind of mom character. And you can absolutely see Lauren Graham doing that character, but it's also a character that I feel like she's played a bunch. So I was, I'm actually more interested in Mary McDonald's approach to that character than I think I would have Lauren Graham, as much as I would have loved to see Lauren Graham in a Scream movie. Lake Bell was originally Dewey's deputy and had to leave like right before shooting. So they, they, they cast that actress. Marley Shelton. Marley Shelton, right before shooting. So she just dove in and took that role. I think that tonally she makes it a lot more silly than probably Lake Bell would have. And, you know, it's it's part of the the weird like tonal incongruity I find that this movie has occasionally. But uh yeah, that's I mean, that's pretty much it. I mean the 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 biggest issue here is just that like he messed with their movie again and he made them do reshoots and so take was, out stuff. And- so is there like a lack of confidence that audiences would be satisfied by this kind of discomforting, ambiguous ending? Yeah, he was yeah. like, I don't know. I don't I don't think this is a movie that's going to be as big of a hit as the other ones. I, I'm not comfortable with leaving this on a cliffhanger. Audiences will hate it. And uh, and I don't like it either. And so we're going to change that. And he did the, the whole hospital reshoot right before the movie was going to open. They also cut. A lot. I mean, like a lot of references to the first movie, which this was meant to be more of the killers were recreating Scream to literally make Jill the new Sidney Prescott. And so, like, they strung up uh, Marty and her friend, just like Casey and Steve, the, the beginning of Scream. And they are just like, they were kind of more beat for beat making Scream. Again, there's a fountain scene with all the friends kind of reacting to the the deaths and everything and sort of making jokes about who could be the killer. And so they were doing those things and eventually they just cut all of that out because the movie was two and a half hours long. And those were the things that could easily get snipped out. Yeah. And, and so we, we end up with this movie that I think is really, really, really solid. I really, really like it a lot. I am disappointed that we didn't get the original version that Kevin Williamson wanted, which was that Jill gets away with it, and then the the, the sequels carry on with her story of her trying to continue to get away with it, while I guess Kirby was going to be like... She was going to have survived because we don't see her die in the movie technically. We just see her get stabbed and she's still moving the last time we see her. Um, And so the idea was we were going to follow Kirby to college and she knows that Jill did it or or suspects that Jill did it and is trying to get to the bottom of it while Dewey is also figuring it out and things like that. But Sydney was supposed to die. Gail was supposed to die. And the rest of the trilogy was going to continue on with Kirby, Jill and Dewey. 
So, like, I don't hate that. Like, I'm not going to call for the Williamson cut or anything. Sure. But I don't hate that. Like, that actually sounds really interesting. And I guess it's also one of those things, too, is, like, Emma Roberts for me. Like, Emma Roberts is a solid scream queen. Like, she does these (laughs) roles and every other role that she's had in horror extremely well. I would definitely just take a trilogy just of her character. Yeah. Being absolutely maniacal and getting away with it. And it opens the door to, like... I mean, I guess the one of the problems, and again, like I didn't know a lot of this that that you're kind of like sharing now about Scream Four, but I think one of the things that I kind of feel that it could have done more is like the whole meta narrative about the reboot is one thing, but when you're not setting up more films after it, are you really setting up that longer through line of like what the right. reboot narrative is? And right. so, like hearing what the original plan was, that actually hits more with what the meta reboot narrative would push so yeah no there's an irony to you know sort of the the, this move that was made out of Mm self-preservation or like let's not go for the big bold ending Mm -hmm. that big bold ending could have been like the momentum that actually would make this like a new trilogy of like we have to see how this almost kind of reminds me of like the omen sequels yeah where you're like you're following damien as he's his like ascension yeah and And now what we have, and we'll get to it at the end, is it, this movie kind of hobbles itself, and mm-hmm. it, it ends with no momentum. Yeah. And I, and now it took another ten years for uh, uh, what's going to just be like another attempt at a remake or a reboot. Right. I assume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I think that that's like that's the thing that always whenever I hear films that either kind of peter out like at at the end. It, you mm-hmm. always end up hearing for the studio, well, they didn't think it was going to work anyway, so they did X to make it more palpable. Mm. And it's like, well, if you don't believe the film's going to work, you're already starting it from way the hell away from the finish line. You're not you're right. not giving it any extra oomph. So right. I'm just over here kind of processing everything because I didn't <laughs> know a lot of this. And it makes yeah. me understand a lot of the fan reception that like I've seen since I since I saw it the first time. And it mm-hmm. also makes me understand. Well, at least it gives context to some of the decisions that not necessarily that I didn't like of the film, but just like that were kind of like, huh, OK, that was there. Yeah, 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 yeah because I, I, I really I think. What I like about the original concept for this trilogy is the way that he, you know, Kevin Williamson looks at Scream and he's like, okay, we kind of reinvented the slasher film with Scream. Um, I don't know how to do that again. Like, how do I do that again? And it's like, oh, well, the one thing that we've never seen is a slasher film from the killer's perspective and what that would be like. You know, I mean, yeah, we follow Jason Voorhees in each friday the 13th movie but we don't like get in his head we don't know anything about michael myers um the the rob zombie films notwithstanding i guess but um (laughs) i also think you have this added element too because like for me one of the things that i love about this and we we've it's not saying that there aren't female slashers like there Mm -hmm. are some out there but it's always like, haha, you thought it was a man the whole time. Now here's this tiny old woman who doesn't fit into the big thing that was just shown a few scenes ago. How the mm-hmm. hell is she actually the killer? Whereas with this, there's nothing in any of the film that says that it has to be a dude. And I feel right. like that's one of the things for me that has always been interesting. Because when you see female killers on film and slasher movies literally they hit you over the head with it has to be a guy 
or you don't have stuff that's explained. And here, it's very much set up that technically a female killer could get away with it because nobody's expecting her to do it anyway. It's like that perfect door that you can walk through and explore, and then you're also, like, making her really sinister. Like, that entire last act of her character just hits real hard from emma's performance and just the amount of like weight that they put it was like oh yeah no this girl's a psychopath i i don't think we've seen that level it for me at least she matches billy's crazy from the first Mm -hmm. one in a way that you don't get in two and three yeah yeah yeah, and the idea of her being uh, Emma Roberts as Jill being like the the new face of Scream mm-hmm. and like entering the pantheon of slashers in the tens is like a really exciting alternate universe theory. Gosh, yeah. I want that timeline um, now. Yeah, I, I <laughs> yeah. think taken on its own merits, like just walking into the movie theater on a Saturday night in 2011, mm-hmm. I think this is a really effective, entertaining Scream movie. Yeah, yeah. Yes. and a big return to form after three. Yes. Um, but but yeah, like take when you when you do visit to like oh my gosh wait they were gonna do that then you know yeah 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 I I, I think that the movie holds holds on its own you know it's just unfortunate yeah. because it doesn't become a reboot or the the start of a new trilogy yeah. a start of a new yeah. longer story thread instead it just becomes kind of a sequel that just sort of came out of nowhere eleven years after the previous and one. then went you know, away. It, <laughs> Yeah, and then it went away again. Um, and, and like Kate said, I think watching it now in 2021, so much of it feels like prophetic. Yes. Yeah. At this age of like influencers and yeah. like, I don't know. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it for yeah, sure. Yeah. No, <laughs> All right, I, yeah, let's. <laughs> I yeah. did want to say one more thing. What, because I had a, with the, with the Scream 5 news or whatever, everybody's always like, Kate, you complain about reboots and sequels all the time. <laughs> Why are you okay with this one? Because it's a damn meta franchise. If anybody was going to take it to number 20 in sequels, this one can do it. And it has the foundation to push it that far. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And and as we've been talking about on this miniseries, the thing that is so special about the Scream movies, in you know, especially in horror, is the fact that we're following the victims, not the killers. Every other yep. franchise is like, what's Freddy doing next? What's Chucky doing next? What's Michael Myers doing next? But we never follow the victims. And this is a series about the victims, not about the killers. And I find that really special in mm-hmm. the genre of horror, and especially slasher. And films. it's important because you get to see what happens to the, fi- the final girl after she survives, or the final right. girls specifically, because Gail is a final girl, and I will always hold that point. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely she is. Yeah. Uh, we open, I think this is quite cool, with the Dimension logo and a phone ring. Yeah. Old school. Just a cool little touch. <laughs> uh, and then we see uh, Lucy Hale, who at the time was big and, and known for her role in Pretty Little Liars. Okay, that was on the TV. Uh, that was on mm-hmm. TV at this point. I, I it's hard. It, it becomes hard for me to keep track of when <laughs> things are happening when it's only like ten or eleven years ago. Also, when the show goes like ten seasons, nobody's right. going to yeah. fault you for not knowing which decade that was in. Y- yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh man, the yeah. tens are weird. Yeah, yeah. Well, for sure. It's like as we get further away from it's like the two thousands. Like when we were twenty years away. Like oh, I can okay. Yeah, I right. can. I can wrap my jaw around it. Right. Uh, and then also uh, Shane Grimes, or Shanae Grimes, I should say, uh, who was in Degrassi. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember from Degrassi, so I think it was maybe after I stepped off Degrassi. Mm, I do remember her from Degrassi. I remember um, from Degrassi. But then I also remember her being on the 90210 reboot. 
Yes. Yes, the CW. I one. forgot that that happened. Yeah. Yeah, it lasted a while, too. It was like three or four years, right? I think. Okay. Pretty, yeah, yeah respectable for like, you know, something like a reboot of 90210. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, oh, wow, they ran for like six years or something. Yeah. And then, yeah, they're, they're walking around and they're, they're talking in this. They're talk- oh, I forgot what they were. Are they talking about? Oh, this is where we get the Saw shout out. Right, right, right. Yeah. Like, uh, um, Sinead Grimes wants to watch like a torture porn movie. Or, no, it's the other way around. Lucy Hale is like, let's watch Saw 4. Sinead Grimes is like, no, that's so dumb. And they call out Saw 4. Yeah. And uh, this is, I'm in the middle of a Saw rewatch because uh, I want to watch Spiral in, when I'm fully vaccinated, I want to go watch Spiral on like the biggest, most expensive screen possible because I haven't. <laughs> I will say you have to. I haven't yet. I watched it as a screener copy and I'm very mad at myself for not going to the press screening for it. That was in oh, the cool. theater. Because it's, nice. yeah. And, and yeah, no, I'm so, I'm so pumped. And so I'm watching the Saw movies and there's this, at the time, in like grand scream fashion, kind of dunking on the current trends in horror is like, oh, there's nothing about like, oh, torture porn. It's all just like gore and pain and like, there's no characters, there's no like context, so you don't care. And I think that still holds true. But watching the Saw movies, they have an interesting commonality with the Scream series and that they're both really fixated on continuity. Mm-hmm. but in really different ways. The the fun of going to watch a Saw movie is seeing like how they weave in the past movies and characters you didn't think were going to show up, make a cameo, or like, oh, that's how they built that trap. But you're right. The characters are sort of like soap opera, paper thin, nowhere near as complex as like Gale or Sydney or Dewey. Mm-hmm. It was weird watching that kind of dig 10 years later and like noticing stuff that I didn't notice before. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, and then uh, Sinead Grimes pulls out like her sidekick. She's like texting like a, a a creepy guy that she met on Facebook. And there's a part where Lucy Hale says like, "Oh, you're being punked," and I'm like, "Oh, we're like literally months away from catfish." <laughs> yeah, there is just like I remember when I rewatched this, and there are some films that you watch and you're like, "Oh, this is timeless," and then there are some films that you watch and it's that one piece of technology. Yeah. Or that one line, and you're like, oh, wow, I really <laughs> yeah. am older than I thought I was. Mm-hmm. I When that sidekick pops out, in the in the commentary, it's a really funny moment in the commentary, because um, Hayden Pantier is like, <laughs> sees it, and it's like, oh, sidekick, remember sidekicks? And they're like, <laughs> and he was like, are those not a thing? Wes Craven's like, are those not a thing anymore? And they're just like, oh, no. <laughs> And it's like, it's like the movie just came out. Like, you know, like that's how dated it already was, putting a sidekick in this movie. Um, and it was just a really funny moment of like, yeah, be careful about those one-off technology things. It reminds me uh, of Iron, of the first Iron Man movie where mm-hmm. he pulls out his little like Nokia that slides up. It's not a sidekick. It's like, it's not a sidekick, but it looks like a sidekick. And it's supposed to be like this new tech that Stark Industries came out with. I'm just like, oh, God. <laughs> No. Yeah, it was also like a it was like a white hot MySpace joke in the first like 30 seconds. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's right. And uh, they're both killed. It turns out we're Okay, so this is if uh, tell me if I'm understanding this correctly. There is no stab 6. Stab 6 is just this cold open and then we shoot straight to stab 7? No, there's a stab 6. That's the cold open of stab 6, but stab 7 opens with them watching stab 6. 
Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because the meta thing, but it's like the bad version of the meta thing. But then, well, that's what I was gonna. <laughs> that's really interesting. So then we get to uh, we cut to Anna Paquin, yeah, watching this movie with Kristen Bell, right? And Anna Paquin is like lamenting the how how uh, predictable horror movies have become. Mm-hmm. And what I took away from this is it's kind of scream killing irony. Mm. Yeah. Of look at how obnoxious this is. Right. Yeah. I I, th- I think we're also over this. Yeah. yeah. No, I thought so too. And then I also thought that it did it was a nice like push back to for like killing off Drew Barrymore so early because Anna Paquin at the time is pretty much at her height with true blood and everything mm-hmm. going on. Um it gives you that nice like, oh cool, Anna Paquin, and she's gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like a bonus Kristen Bell. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I always forget about Kristen Bell. I love her. Oh, Ver- I love her. I love <laughs> Veronica Mars, but also I forget about Kristen Bell sometimes. It's, it's honestly, though, I will say in terms of Kristen Bell, it is a waste of Kristen Bell in a Scream movie. Because oh, yeah. She, she would absolutely yes. just, I mean, you know, no pun intended, murder a Scream, a role in a Scream <laughs> yes, movie. Oh, drop would. her anywhere. <laughs> yes, she would. 100%. Yeah. She yeah. could have played anybody in this movie. I know. Yeah. She yeah, could have played Jill in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Man. Oh, yeah. And then, uh, but yeah, no, I, I thought that was a cool way of kind of burying what things were almost getting a little too comedic and a little too spoofy in Scream 3. Yeah. And I think a lot of this movie is a return to the the weight and the blood. Yes. That the first two screams have. Every time I watch this opening, though, I always think there's going to be like three more fake out endings than there are. There's only two. Like a Jump Street movie? Yeah, I just think it's going to keep going. I don't know why, but uh, in my memory, there's like four or five of these scenes. And then we cut to the actual cold open. Britt Robertson mm-hmm. from Tomorrowland and Life Unexpected. Yes. And uh, Amy Tiergarten, who uh, I'm not a big fan of this show, so I, I didn't immediately catch this one, but uh, was like Julie Taylor, the coach's kid from Friday Night Lights. Oh, oh, yeah. I'm in Texas, so I've never seen that entire show, but I know everybody on there. So as, it's like <laughs> my sure. obligation as a Texan to understand at the very least who yeah. was in it. Like sure. they'd all would come to the, a restaurant in the town all the time and they'll have stories. <laughs> in there um yeah so this this scene they originally shot it one way again this was a lot of bob weinstein meddling in the movie and thinking that it's not good enough and that people aren't going to like it and he really i think he just wanted a one-shot movie again just another scream sequel and so he he like really dug in there and and chopped their movie up and made them do reshoots like a couple of times um, and this is one of the scenes that they reshot. Originally, Britt Robertson is the last one standing in the scene. And it's this really great moment where after she goes upstairs and Britt Robertson's downstairs and she does like, there's like the fake out call, you know, she screams downstairs and she and the other one comes down and Britt Robertson like, freaks her out again like where she pretends to be dead and she's not really dead and she's like okay can we agree to stop messing with each other now and they're like yeah okay great so then Britt Robertson goes over to the to the kitchen and like opens up the refrigerator and is getting snacks out and they're like talking about like which movie they're going to finish watching or whatever and then she shuts the door and Ghostface is there and Britt Robertson is like come on, I thought we were going to stop doing this. I thought we were going to stop messing with it. And Ghostface comes up behind the other, her friend, stabs her, and she's screaming, and stabs her in the, like, on the couch. And Britt Robertson is just like, 
guys, guy, who even is this? What are you doing? And she's like dying in front of her friend is like getting stabbed to death in front of her. And it was kind of an interesting, very personal version of like the Scream 2 opening where, you know, she her death has an audience and the audience is kind of apathetic to it because they're just like so desensitized. And I thought it was an interesting take. I think I liked it more than the version that we get, which is just sort of a little more down the middle. It's very it, awkward. It kind of, it feels, it feels truncated. Yeah, yeah. It just doesn't feel like it has anything to say. Whereas the two fake outs had more to say yeah. than the final scene that is the actual real cold open. It feels derivative in kind of a weird way. Like you get a garage door kind of kill again that recalls yeah. Tatum. Right. It doesn't feel like an escalation. And it also doesn't feel real because that you can't get crushed by a gar- garage door. The only reason that it worked in the original is because she's in the, the doggy door. Yeah. And so she's not blocking the lasers or whatever. But if you're like actually underneath it, it would never close on you. Uh, unless we get, it was manual. We get the details that Sydney sued the filmmakers behind the Stab series presumably fake dimension and that's why post the trilogy quote the first three stabs they've all been fictional and stab five included time travel (laughs) (laughs) i love that stab five included time travel the we not the two that we saw the two later ones six and seven there were a whole other thing but five included i just want to know if stab eight went to went to space that's the important question. Oh, yeah. I, I want to know, are there, are there, I, I mean, we know that there are, there's probably Stab fans on the internet. I wish they had made this joke at some point in the movie, but maybe this is like a little too ahead of its time. But the idea of somebody wanting the, the Roman cut of, oh, of Stab gosh. 3, of like, because, you know, they probably scrapped all of that movie and then like started over and did an, like yeah. a, an adaptation of what really happened. If there's not but. at least one joke about that in the next Scream movie, it's going to be a very wasted opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I feel like in the decades since this movie, film fandom has only become more weaponized. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, with stuff yeah. like the Snyder Cut. It's become yeah. 100% more weaponized. Everybody has got too much time on their hands and they need to go touch some grass. And the, uh, <laughs> the relationship between, like, fan and artist, the expectation the pa- of, yeah, like, you, yeah. Th- that's, like, one of the really important things that I'm probably jumping ahead, but, like, that I'm excited for in Scream 5 is, like, the way that people have formed parasocial relationships with everybody now, from mm-hmm. the writers to the directors to the actors themselves and the people who comment on the podcasters, right? Like, there, there's... The parasocial relationships go everywhere now, and it can get real murky real quick. Yeah, at what point does fandom become ownership? Exactly. What happens if you have a fan who, like, I'm excited for it because you have so many things where you have fans that relate to podcasts of a thing that they really like, and then everybody relates to the movie, relates to the people, and it just, there's a whole web there. We, we, Nick and I, one of the first podcasts that we hosted together was Back to the Future Minute. And it's, you know, probably the biggest podcast that we've ever had. Yeah. And uh, that fandom is very extreme and and very, very, you know, they love those characters and that franchise. And we do too. But when they talk to us, they seem to believe that we're like as huge, massive super fans as they are, and not just like two guys who hosted a podcast about uh, a, a series of movies that they liked. And and so it, it's this thing where it's like, I'll just be tweeting about like a movie that I watched that I love, and they'll just be like, well, that's not Back to the Future. And it's like, 
I watch other movies, guys. Like, yeah. I, you know. <laughs> that happens to me all the time. Or I'll lose followers if I don't do something that the people know me for. Or uh, actually, on what, on the anime podcast that I host, we did an entire episode on a character. We got a 15-paragraph email from a guy telling us that we were wrong. Wow. And we just responded, I think you should start your own podcast. Yeah, that's a good response. That's a perfect response. <laughs> it, it, it's it, it's it's crazy because like, and we like me and her like whenever we talk, we're like, well, this is our podcast. We're gonna do what we want. I don't care if this is the format that we said. You know, we own it. Let's go. And the relationships that anime fans especially have with like certain characters and certain like mm-hmm. things, it, it it's really weird. The oh, not weird because I'm a weeb. Like I've, I mean, I have everything, but like. The ownership piece of fandom and product that opened when Mass Effect 3 redid its ending. And I will always hold that Mass Effect 3 is when all of this got even worse. Yeah. That door that opened has gotten even, even worse than like what we could have expected. Right. Where all of a sudden there's like petitions to like redo the last season of Game of Thrones. Yeah. And people actually think it will get done. And now directors are playing into that too so that's a whole nother angle that right. could be done like somebody needs to right. take david yeah. ayer's twitter away please because he's soaking <laughs> that fire <laughs> right and then i think it comes goes back to the power imbalance where we have these very powerful filmmakers in some cases like you said sort of weaponizing people who like well you don't know what their situation is yeah. there this could mean a lot more to them not that that's healthier balanced or whatever but you know who but i don't you know like it, it's like do you know what you're poking at right yeah. when you're you know, doing things like well maybe there is a cut i don't know <laughs> right right yeah. and then going off and doing other stuff with your like millionaire movie director life yeah right yeah we cut back to woodsboro mm-hmm. and uh the lanterns have been vandalized it turns out with ghost face decorations but it looks like official town decorations yeah they look legit <laughs> <laughs> i love how every screen movie has a radically different musical taste yeah, I, I I like how sort of modern indie pop this one is. But I, so one thing that does bug me about this movie, and I think they did the best that they could, given the budget that they were given and the, the, okay. the, the you know, what, the, what they could do. But like, they didn't shoot this in Napa Valley. Like they shot the first Scream. They shot this in Michigan. And I think you can tell. Is that like, why it's also saturated and yes, sunny? And okay. there's no hills anywhere. Like anywhere. No one lives oh. in the hills. Everyone lives in neighborhoods. Yeah, it's it's Michigan. It's not where they actually shot Woodsboro originally, and I and I think you can tell. And it's uh, it does take a little bit of the return to Woodsboro spirit out of out of the balloon. I think I don't know. No, for sure. And then on display in the main town, there's a, a bookstore. We meet Allison Bree's character Rebecca, mm-hmm. who is Sydney's literary agent. Yeah. I like her a lot. It's unfortunate that with these movies, you know, you have to set all these characters up that just end up being body count characters. Because I would have loved to have seen more of her rivalry with Gail. Yeah, same. Her her rivalry slash admiration of the character, but also definitely wanting to, like, beat her. Yes. And uh, I was interested in that when we got we got a little bit of it in this movie, but um, she's just not in the movie enough to 
uh, add much to that, which is unfortunate. But I think she does a really great job with the role that she's yeah. given. I, I really like the inclusion of this character because for me, she kind of stands as like what people who don't like Gail say Gail is. And yeah. Gail is more than that, which is why it works as a good opposite. And you can see the differences and how they both, you can see the similarities, but you can also see the differences and what's driving them. So I agree. I also would have liked more, more of her. But for me, she always felt like she was inserted to be like, oh yeah, this is who you, this is who you hate and think Gail is. Gail's actually not that and she's a badass. Right. Totally. And uh, Allison Brie just completely understanding the assignment. Oh, yes. yeah. <laughs> Allison Brie never doesn't understand the assignment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah just like a classic Scream character, just Ugh. so sour and cynical. Sydney wrote a book, Out of Darkness, all about her like reclaiming her title or her life, like challenging the role of survivor that the media had given her, mm-hmm. trying to create a new life. Speaking of new lives, we cut to Dewey. In bed, awakening to his ringtone, the Axel F. The first ringtone joke of the Scream series. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and uh, he's sleeping beside Gail. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've moved to Woodsboro, or Gail has settled down in Woodsboro. They've been married for 10 years, so they got married a year after the events of Scream 3. I wish we had, there was a lot more of them as a married couple, like living together in the movie that they cut out. Wow. Um, I wish there was more of that because I would have liked to get to know them as a married couple a little bit more than we do in this. He's the sheriff now, Sheriff Dewey. Yeah. I love that. He has become the old man from Scream 1. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, I I love that because it's sort of a flip of their power dynamic typically, whereas he's like kind of the low man on the totem pole, kind of looking up at Gale on this pedestal. And now Gale isn't looking up at him at a pedestal, but he's like, he definitely has a higher power dynamic in terms of their marriage and and their careers and where they're at right now currently. He's like what he's always wanted to be, which is like sheriff of his hometown. He's got his dream job. And then you have poor Gale. She gave it all up. She She, had it. Yeah. 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 And that's why I love her so much in this movie because I think they made a mistake of not letting her grow in the previous films where you just she just sort of reverts to who she was at the beginning of Scream kind of at each movie she resets a little bit and then here she doesn't reset and in fact she chases a reset but doesn't quite get there because she's a different person now and she's grown a lot and she she wants to get the story and she wants to write a new book and have all of these things but She's also a much better person than she ever has before. been before. She's a lot less selfish than she ever has been before. And her sort of coming to terms with the fact that she's a better person over the course of this movie and that causing problems for her, I think is really a really interesting way to take the character. So I love Gail. Uh, obviously, yeah. as I've said multiple times, I love <laughs> I love her in this movie, but I actually I don't have a problem with her in any of the other movies because the time frame in which all of that stuff happens is actually really short. So, like, mm-hmm. where are you going to have this come to Jesus moment when you literally get your big break and you get to chase it and run and live your dream? Homegirl's yeah. still going to be, you know, she she not only is self-assured she has the receipts to prove that she deserves to have this big head on her shoulders and so for me i actually think a lot of the reason that people have the idea that like gail doesn't grow or gail is selfish because she's not actually selfish if you look at how she acts and how she um like who she saves how she makes her choices there's the hint of having to fight against her natural instinct to be like oh well i have to put me first because i am trying Mm -hmm. to survive and everybody else but i think a lot of what people 
don't like and a lot of like that kind of like have like what you just said and which is a totally like uh it's valid take because i think it's meant to do that is that she does not she does not fit the standard final girl trope that we have for women in horror mm-hmm. gail is gail and she is self-assured and she's self-reliant and she's going to keep fighting from from the jump she doesn't have to learn to find her strength through trauma like Cindy does. Gail is already that fighter. And I think mm. a lot of the time when people see that, they see that as somebody who is aggressive and is supposed to be the mean one and the one you're not supposed to like in the movie. And I think that Wes Craven and everybody who's had a hand in her character throughout all the movies, I think they were too smart not to know that that's what they were doing. But I think that it gets lost on some folks. And the reason I say that is just because, like, I'm that very self-assured person. So for me, I've never identified with final girls who are like, oh, no, sex is bad. I must find my strength in the last act. I've always identified with people like Gail, who are sure in their power. And what I like about Four specifically, when we get to see her in a different piece, is Gail has learned to where she places her values and where she places at completeness because sometimes what you're chasing isn't actually what's going to make you happy. And so I love her character in four because you can see that she's kind of solidifying that like, okay, I have given up stuff for this man. Like literally what they do is they make her give up her life to go live in a crappy town with her husband, which is not a good narrative for women. And we end up having to do a lot, but what they what they do with her character that I like is that sometimes that's the choice that is important to make. Sometimes you do give up stuff for other people because you love them. And I think what Four does is it solidifies that love that she has for Dewey in making that choice. And the reason you have her pushing to get back to like her old self is because she's trying to find out whether or not that is her old self or if she's always just had this nice big heart that's been sitting under the surface and she really loves Dewey. Anyway, that's my essay on Gail Weathers. <laughs> yeah, I never thought about that, Kate. That you know, like uh, the the period between Scream and Scream Three is this like really this blitzkrieg of the, this blitz of stuff happening in this person's life when they're still like relatively young. Mm-hmm. And this is Scream Four is the longest gap we've had between stories, and it reminds me a lot. I think about like Ethan Hunt and Mission Impossible Three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or or Nathan Drake in that last Uncharted game, mm-hmm. where Gail is this like retired badass or superhero that has been trying to like live this life is like okay I'm in Woodsboro and I'm with Dewey, but she feels that call to adventure, mm-hmm. and a lot of this movie is like her getting back in the groove. You have caught how many killers now, and you're just gonna you're just gonna go sit down at home like yeah. turn it off. Yeah, yeah. yeah if, if anything, I find it I find it a little unbelievable that she was there for ten years mm-hmm. that it took that long. For her to kind of snap out, oh, it kind of yeah. speaks to her her commitment to make a life work with Dewey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess we don't we don't know when they moved to Woodsboro, right? We don't know how mm-hmm. long mm-hmm. Dewey has been sheriff or when the so, show ended. Her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that could have just been three or four years ago, for That's all true. we know. Yeah. They might have tried to make it work in L.A. or in New York or who knows. But uh, yeah, yeah. Dewey's going to work and he almost gets run off the road by one of my favorite characters in the entire series, Kirby Reed. <sighs> yeah, yes. by Hayden Panettiere. Oh, I, love I love Kirby. Kirby. <laughs> I, I love the little touch of Dewey knowing that it's Kirby. Yeah. I, I like, he's a good sheriff. I think he he's kind of, this is what he was meant to grow into because throughout the series, he's expressed like a love for Woodsboro and he never saw it as being like above his hometown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And so now he's just like, oh, man, the kid almost ran me over. Yeah. <laughs> Dewey yeah. is the guy who does community policing right. Mm-hmm. That's sure. Dewey. the ideal. The ideal. Yeah. Yes. He's from the community. Yeah. And David Arquette came into this wanting Dewey to be less cartoony because um, he really didn't like the way the Dewey was depicted in the third movie. And, you know, he rolled with it, but he was like, okay, I'm a sheriff now. You wrote me as a sheriff. Let me be professional and not a kid anymore yeah i'm not a kid anymore please make me less silly and so uh weinstein was like okay yeah yeah no problem david and then he was like shoot two versions of everything and they put all he weinstein put all of the silly dewey back into the movie and um, which is really unfortunate yeah there is like that's one of the things I, i think dewey may probably be my biggest issue i have some issues with sydney but like i think dewey maybe my biggest one because like when you have dewey start off he's just the lovable dork Mm -hmm. and then there is this golden piece where he should be as a himbo where he's competent and he knows what to do but his heart betrays him and he makes those decisions and there's a very there there's a difference of just being an incompetent sheriff who doesn't know what's going on and doesn't know how to, like, fight a killer off. And then there's just, I'm a himbo, and I Mm -hmm. care about my heart first. But I can also do all these things. And I feel like this should have been himbo Dewey, like the perfect himbo Dewey, and we just got doofus Dewey. Yeah. Which makes me sad, because I love David Arquette, and I love Dewey with all my heart. Yeah. No, for sure. It'll be interesting to see what like what becomes of him in this new movie that's had like another ten years to add to this character's yeah, life. Yeah, absolutely. Experience. Yeah. Meanwhile, back in Kirby's car, uh, she goes to pick up her friends Jill, played by Emma Roberts, and Olivia. Forgot to write Olivia's actor's name down. That's my bad. <laughs> yeah. I like the car ride. It's like classic eternal teenage drama of like, oh, this guy called her friends to talk to Jill to kind of talk around Jill. Uh we learned that Sydney is the reason that Kirby loves horror movies, but Olivia uses the moniker of Angel of Death for Sydney because she's like literally everywhere she goes, like a group of people dies, but not her. Like, what would you call that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So knowing the ending of the film, that kind of sets up for like what Jill does want to be in a way. She wants to be the literal angel of death and that she's causing mm-hmm. it around her, whereas Sydney's just like, why do they keep following me? Right. Yeah, and yeah. Tears first line in the whole movie is like, you know, I'm going to tell you something, but you have to promise not to kill me. Yeah. I think technically her first line in the movie is, shit, sorry, Sheriff. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's going really fast. But yeah, that's her first like real line for sure. <laughs> Kirby is like another character I really like. She kind of defies easy characterization mm-hmm. where she's allowed to be kind of like an airhead. Mm-hmm. And there's like, I don't know, some Peppermint Patty qualities to her even. Yeah. yeah. She has she has like her space cadet moments, but then she's also hard Randy, which is mm-hmm. like yeah. really good. What I like about her character is they feminized her in ways that feel natural and not in ways that are like, we're just going to make a female Randy, um, which right. is what I liked. Yeah. No, and I, and I love that they have, she has these two copycats who are like so desperately trying to be the Randy. And it's like, sorry, guys, the, Rand- the role of Randy has already been taken. Exactly. Um, you need to figure out something else. <laughs> and speaking of new characters, we meet Marley Shelton playing uh, Deputy... There's so many J's in this movie. It's not Jill. It's Joan. Je- oh, man. I forgot her name. Deputy. 
She's great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm glad that she's one of the few people in this movie that are that are returning for the new one. I like. It'll be interesting though because I do think she's very silly. I think a little too silly, and and I don't blame her. I think that she joined the the cast so so fast mm-hmm. that she didn't have a chance to like really like sit with her character. Yeah. There's this really interesting detail where they're pulling the vandal like the decorations off from the lanterns and Deputy Dewey's like, oh like yesterday's tragedy is another generation's joke. And we know that that isn't necessarily true. If we go back and watch Scream One, like the kids weren't taking it very seriously. But Dewey's like an old man now, and he's remembering it better than it was. Deputy Judy Hicks. Judy. Judy Hicks. Great, great, great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm I'm hoping that she's a little less silly in the new movie. Yeah, I didn't like her. I didn't like her at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she just feels totally inconsistent yeah. with like everyone else in the movie. She's a, she's definitely a Scream Three character. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good call. Yeah. Compared to like Parker Posey, Emily Mortimer, Mm, you know. Yeah. So this was interesting. So word gets out about the murder that happened in the cold open and the kind of reversal of the other screams. We have Gail at home watching the news and learning stuff about Sydney Mm -hmm. because Sydney is now more a part of the game than Gail is. And she's like watching from the sidelines. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, We cut back to Woodsboro High. The, the new Woodsboro High, we meet, uh, like you said, the kind of really downgraded, diluted copycat Randys. Yeah. Uh, they're the fanboys. They're like yeah. the epitome of fanboys. Yeah. They're less charming even than like the Randy was. Yes. Yeah. Uh, played by a Culkin. One of the Culkins. Yeah. One Rory. of the Culkins. One of the Culkins. Uh, of the clan Culkin. <laughs> a singular Culkin. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like a hive. It's like a collective. <laughs> One Culkin. So uh, the character of Robbie Mercer, I thought was really interesting. And we were kind of talking earlier about how a lot of this movie feels prophetic. Mm -hmm. Robbie is, quote, a streamer. Yeah. (laughs) That has this, like, headset. That is like, I'm talking to people right now on the net. You're watching me. Okay, you know what? That headset is 10 times cooler than the dumb backpacks that streamers actually carry around <laughs> when they go to conventions and things. So yeah, get me one sure. of those, please. Like, but now with like our cool tech. Yeah. Yeah. But like, it's interesting. Yeah. If you made this movie talking, if you make this movie now, he would 100% just have like a phone and right. would mm-hmm. have like, he would be like Flash in that new Spider Man movie where he just has like a, a channel. Yeah. Like, a yeah. Live stream. You have like a phone on a stick and he'd just be like, <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. How ahead of its time. Like, I don't know what, I don't know how Kevin Williamson saw the future. Because it's a little awkward right now because the tech isn't quite there yet. Right, right. Where it's like, well, this isn't a real thing right now, but. (laughs) Well, so I think it was. So Justin TV started in 2007 and Justin TV was what Twitch started out as. So in gaming culture specifically, it wasn't like big in film or anything, but streaming and that and like live streams had already started in gaming culture um so it was a thing but it wasn't as ubiquitous as it's become now yeah right right. in fact like in all honesty like streaming back then like it would make you the weird dude who was trying too hard which is what you see in this movie Um, right the way now the cool kids are doing it exactly it's in people like spider-man yeah Uh, what a, a delightful! So we cut to the inside of the high school, and it's we, in Spider Man, and Spider Man is playing a streamer in another movie. Yeah. Oh right. Yeah. <laughs> another Spider Man. All the Spider Mans. 
uh, we in the interior of Woodsboro High, we get a statue of Henry Winkler. And and they had a full blown shot of it, and Wes Craven cut it out of the movie because they hired a local artist, and he did not do a good job. Uh, it it didn't look anything like Henry Winkler, so I, they were just like, let's get it out of there. I recognized it in profile. I was like, oh, that's that's fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we meet uh, Trevor, who again is feels like kind of very bland. Mm-hmm. And like he's playing the archetypal boyfriend character. Mm-hmm. Jill's mad at him because they, what? It's kind of vague. Like they, he he cheated on her for sure. Yes, but they were like on a break, or they weren't dating, or I don't know, or he just cheated on her. Yeah, it was that simple? Yeah, I it's this this guy kind of bugs me because like I get that they're using the fact that they've they've you know like oh it's the maybe it's the boyfriend again mode. But they already did that with Derek, and it's a lot better with Derek than it is with this. With this, they're just like, he's not the killer, but we're just going to red herring him to death. He never registers. <laughs> he never seems to me as like a real character in the movie. Like yeah. Every time he would enter, I'd be like, oh, that's right. Yeah, like Jill's, Jill's boyfriend. Right, right. Yeah. Gail visits the bookstore. Sydney's giving like a reading of, uh, it almost seemed like the final paragraph of the whole book. <laughs> yeah. Just spoil the ending for everybody. Yeah, but she talks about leaving the wall of fear behind and starting a new life and changing her role. Uh, That is interrupted by uh, the deputy and Dewey showing up, and they've managed to trace a phone back to this area. Mm. And so they open up Sydney's trunk and they find like bloody copies of the book, a knife and a ghost face mask. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely how I would I would carry my my uh, Ghostface costume if I was Ghostface. I would just throw it in the back full of blood oh, and yeah. the murder 100%. weapon and everything. Yeah. And then we cut back to the uh, Gail visits the dep- uh, the sheriff's office and Dewey's like way behind and like everyone at school is already knowing about the killers and talking about it. They didn't know this going in. I'm sorry to harp on on poor Judy Hicks again. No, please talk. <laughs> they didn't know this going in, but like I can't I can't. In my mind, she's just Judy Hopps because it's just so close to Judy Hopps. From- <laughs> <laughs> and so every time it's like Judy Hicks, Judy Hopps, like she's a cop. She's oh like a real like try hard cop too. <laughs> so it's just like I, all I could I just picture her as a cartoon bunny. I don't know uh, the whole time that she's on screen. Her poor lemon bars just getting uh, trashed. I just by don't Gail. like her. I don't like her. She's. She's like the epitome of a pick me, and also like you don't want to try mm-hmm. hard cop. That's just a bad time for everybody. I don't, yeah. I don't like her. She, I, yeah. I will stomp on her little lemon bars. I don't care. Something I really appreciated: we get Gail is like locked out. Mm-hmm. She's been exiled from the story. Mm-hmm. She, she doesn't have the inside access anymore. And uh, what I did appreciate it about David Arquette and Dewey in this movie is he he wears the power uncomfortably. They could have yeah. very easily turned him into just like, well, he's a dick now because he ha- he's in charge. But he's like, I know that you probably could help, but like, I also have, I can't just let anybody in. I have to be a good sheriff. These rules have to mean something. Like, yeah. I'm literally a cop. Yeah. And it didn't feel hackneyed to me. It felt, I, I appreciated it. Yeah. Yeah. It really shows his sort of uncomfortableness with. You sense that, like, if he had his druthers, he would just let his wife into the whole thing and be like, yeah, write your book, help us solve this case. But he knows that that's, like, not really legal, per se, and could cause some trouble in in court if it ever led there. It's also nice to just let him, like, see him set a boundary. That's probably, like, because, like, Dewey doesn't have any boundaries with anybody for, you know, the rest of the franchise. So here it's nice for him to kind of be like, okay... 
this is my responsibility. This is my line. I love you, Gail, but can't do it. Mm-hmm. Right. He would let everyone push him around, whether it was the yeah. sheriff or Tatum mm-hmm. or whoever. Uh, and now he's in charge of people like Anthony Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I always Good love rewatching it because I forget that he's in here. It's kind of a big get at the time for yeah. such a small role. This is even before Blackish, but he was still Anthony Anderson. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, yeah, it's it's the power of the screen movies. Everybody wants to be in one of these, you know, right. like, actors really love these movies. Yeah. And, and yeah, he's one of the many new characters introduced that I think aren't given enough to do. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. And it's cool. Every everyone is a suspect. The girls are questioned and brought in uh, Olivia and Kirby and Jill. Mm-hmm. I love uh, him painting here. He's like, wait, like, am I I didn't get a phone call. Does that mean I'm going to die first? <laughs> right. <laughs> and then Dewey's like, yes, no. Well, yes. <laughs> That's sort of like he doesn't know how to answer that. It's pretty great. Everyone's a suspect. It was kind of just the right amount of the balance of cynicism, but a realistic amount of cynicism. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're still acting like real people, but yeah. like they're still teenagers, so they would be kind of mostly worried about themselves. Right. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and Sid sees her new role challenged. She's been kind of making money off of this story, and now the authenticity of it is being challenged yeah. by Ghostface. Mm-hmm. I, I really like it because what I like about Sydney, and it's not that I don't like Sydney. I feel like I may have come off as I don't like Sydney earlier, but <laughs> no, I, no. I do like her. But what I like about this is you see her owning her narrative for the first time, really, and understanding that like people will make money off of me. I will at least make money off of myself. And she's no, she's like no longer this wispy person who just like wants to put it all behind her. Which I, I really do love Scream 2 for how they showed her responding to trauma. I thought that was one of the best things about that film. But I feel like here there's an ownership in her agency, in her own story, mm-hmm. that you don't really get in other places, which I really appreciate. Right. Like the Sydney Prescott of like quickly hiding, running away from the camera back into her house yeah. and shutting it behind her. Now she's like telling her yeah. story. Right, right. She's a lot older now. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's it's easy to forget in those original movies, like in Scream three she is like 22 yeah or she might not even be that old but she's she's very young and so so yeah she's 11 years older now she's in her 30s i mean yeah you know you 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 tend to like know yourself a lot better once you get to around that age yeah um i had no idea who the hell i was when i was in my early 20s so uh yeah i i it makes sense that gail had her shit together a yeah. lot better than than sydney ever did yeah I've been like yeah. four people since this movie came out. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite parts of any Scream sequel is like the Gail Sidney reunion. Mm-hmm. There's always just so yeah. much uncomfortableness, but intimacy and like familiarity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. And outside of the police station, we get a great scene between Rebecca Allison Brie and Gail Weathers. And it was mm-hmm. like, oh, 90s TV legend Courtney Cox chopping it up with 2010s TV legend Allison Brie. Yeah. And it was great just watching them jam. They both are like totally just living in that scream world and given that Kevin Williamson dialogue yeah. and just trading blows. And Gail's got, he has that action hero, like, yeah, I still got it. Yeah, um, yeah. I, uh, I really love that scene a lot. And then we meet President Rosalind, aka Sydney's aunt. Right. It's interesting that Kevin Williamson has the keys again. Okay, was this an Aaron Kruger? I don't know. Cause like Scream 3, we have the introduction of Randy's sister. 
Oh, right. This yeah. kind of like, oh, by the way, here's this like family member we never talked about. Right, right, right. And now here in Scream 4, we're kind of pulling that same move. Yeah, uh, no, I think this was always going to be part of the deal here. I think that uh, I, 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 it's muddy because okay. the movie is new enough. And the fact that Kevin Williamson, he gets sole screenwriting credit, despite the fact that there were rewrites. There was even another writer on set writing stuff on the day that is also uncredited. So it was like Kevin Williamson did two drafts, Aaron Kruger did a couple of drafts, and then this person was on set doing rewrites and things, and then Aaron Kruger wrote the reshoots. Well, damn. And it's like, yeah, right. And so you you have a lot of writers involved, but with Kevin Williamson being the only credited writer, you enter this scenario where, according to the WGA, he's the only person who worked on it, yeah. right? But we know that that, you know, our writer arbitration and all of that stuff is is murky at best. And um, as long as you've written, I think, 70% of the final script, you're going to be the only person who gets credited. And so you just, yeah, you get this murky thing where it's like, I don't, I'll be honest, Nick, I don't know. There's a draft floating around that's called Z. You can find it. It's like an early Scream 4 draft, but... Screams? Yeah, it's just called Z, oh. because it's like a fake, Sounds you know, cool. a fake uh, a script title page. And I read that, and there's a bunch of that where, you know, comparing that to the, the script for, for Scream 3 that Aaron Kruger wrote, where I'm like, Aaron Kruger wrote a lot of this. So, like, I think that, that, I think that draft, and I think later people have said that that draft was an Aaron Kruger draft, not a Kevin Williamson yeah. draft. And so, yeah, the 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 aunt character was in there, and and Emma Roberts' character was Sydney's niece, and all of that. But like, so like, I don't know. I do know the the um that the 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 Judy Hicks character is an Aaron Kruger character. Okay, um, he created that based on his original intention for the second killer in Scream Three. The the actress was going to be a old student at. Woodsboro High that everyone kind of collectively ignored and just sort of like, yeah, you know, we went to school together and now I'm a psychopath and I'm going to be, I'm going to be a killer. And so he took that idea. Right. And And we'll talk about that scene. Yeah. Dumped Uh, it into Judy Hicks. So Sydney is uh, staying with her. This is Maureen's sister. We get, I really like the scene with Dewey and Sydney where they get to like catch up and talk about like, and like, I, I, I like no other horror series even gets to ever do stuff like this. And I think it's like part of what makes Scream so special. Yeah, no, I agree there. And I think it's, I think it's really, I, I, and how do you say this? You kind of mentioned it. Like we're following the victims and we're following the survivors. We're not following the killers. So it allows each reunion moment with the same cast to have those intimacies that you don't see in others where like maybe there's one person and then you recast everybody and you get a new new group of people you have to remake all of the relationships and everything and in scream everything is just really fluid even if the only time they ever saw each other were in those big traumatic events you're gonna be fairly close to each other after that like trauma bonds a thing it's something it's something that I'm surprised more horror series or franchises haven't taken yeah. advantage of. This idea of con- emotional continuity and ongoing relationships yeah. that could get people going back to the movies every year or every couple of years. Mm-hmm. I agree, 100%. We cut back to a very familiar scene in the Scream franchise, Jill's bedroom, uh, where Trevor is in there menacing her and kind of like, babe, just take me back, please, babe. Crawling in through the window. So uh, we get a Joshua Tree poster. 
But uh, more importantly, we get a Fall Out Boy poster specifically from Infinity on High. <laughs> it was uh, the, C- the, the poster that came out of the CD. That's awesome. And then uh, I, I really I like, like a moment where Sydney opens the door, sees it happening, and like, oh, I'll see you later, babe. And like, oh, wow, like, I've, I've seen this before. Yeah. The next scene is, uh, oh, uh, so like, the, yeah, we, you were talking about Sydney closes the door and we see Deputy Judy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in like a really creepily shot scene that I don't think really works. It, it plays really weird, and it's like I guess kind of like a red herring in retrospect. Mm-hmm. I yeah. so I've never I never thought that she was a red herring because it was so obvious. Mm-hmm. Like, and I I don't like, and I don't know why my brain never thought that. I also think it's just because she annoyed me. Like, just okay. seeing yeah. her on screen annoyed me after the first interaction. I'm just like, no, Judy. I hope I hope your body count character. I can't I can't deal with you right now. <laughs> no, she's going to be in the new movie. I, know. I I am I I am hoping that they find a way to redeem her character in the next movie and and figure out a new way to use her. I have a theory about what I think how they're going to use her in the new movie. I think she's married to Dewey in the new movie. Um, that would that's hurt my guess. So much because that's what bothers me so much about her character yeah. because she only exists to get Dewey's approval, and it's like, oh yeah, cool. Yeah. Somebody wants Dewey's approval. This dummy, but like yeah. it. Oh, I can see yeah, it happening. Thinking, I can see it happening, and I don't like it. <laughs> I don't. I don't love it either. But I, I'm like, why else do you have her in this movie if that's not what you're doing? It reminds me a lot of the Patrick Dempsey scene in Scream Three, mm-hmm. yeah. where it's revealed that she has this creepy file and all these clippings and pictures of Sydney, but it never goes anywhere. And then they like get popcorn at the end of the movie, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, cops love Sydney. <laughs> She's like the Foo Fighters. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of cops. <laughs> uh, we cut to the inside of the cop car where uh, Oz and Perkins, Anthony Anderson and Adam Brody are sharing some scenes. I remember being so hyped at the concept of Adam Brody yes. reading a Kevin Williamson script. Yeah. Yeah. It's too bad. <laughs> no. Yeah. It's yeah. a bummer. Like he, it's a, it's like, I'm almost more mad that he's in this movie. Kind of like the Kristen Bell thing. Like you said, like he could just crush in this universe. After yeah. seeing him in ready or not. Yes. Yes, he could. Yeah. Especially with those guys yeah. doing the new movie, like yeah. like they're doing the yep. new scream, and and now they can't use Adam Brody. Yeah. That sucks. There's a there was a letterbox <laughs> review that was like someone fucking resuscitate Adam Brody. <laughs> so it's Scream Five. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Then we get one of the first meta moments of this podcast, listeners. Jill and Kirby are in their bedroom watching Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. That was weird. That was a weird. I uh, watching it this time. I was like, "Oh right." <laughs> yes. A shout out to shout out to Cornetto Minute. Shout out to Sean of the Dead Minute. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Legends never die. Follow. <laughs> you know, I, I don't watching this scene. I don't. I really appreciated that they wa- are commenting on the movie they're watching. And it's always this awkward part in movies where you're just like, "Oh, the actors don't know what's on that TV." Yeah. They just like put that in and post. Right. Right. And even the killer like says like oh you're watching Shaun of the Dead, yeah. They talked about how hard it was to just like laugh at something that they don't know what they're watching, yeah, uh, <laughs> and make it seem natural. They're like it's harder than crying because <laughs> you know. So Olivia calls Kirby, and they have like this kind of back and forth. It establishes that their house is like across the street from one another. They're right next to each right other. next to each other. Yeah, yeah. Say, yeah. And this is interesting. So like 
a lot of references are made throughout the whole franchise of the girl walking around in her underwear trope Mm -hmm. and and like watching because like that happens with olivia in the scene and i was like oh wait is this i think this might be the one of the first times this actually happens in the series yeah and not in a stab movie yeah right and i i kind of clocked it yeah it was like a, a voyeurism that had been absent from a lot of the movies yeah yeah, not into it. <laughs> I don't like it at all. I don't know why it's here. It's uh, off-putting, to say the least. At the time, it kind of made sense. It's like watching it is like, because, you know, the obvious suspects are also like the two Randys. Sure. Yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah, their remake their, it has, is like, isn't as classy as like a Wes Craven movie. It's sure. more. That's fair. That's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is also when the Stabathon is like set up mm-hmm. and and hung a lantern on it. I do just love the name of it, like a Stabathon. Like it's just it's good. It's like that is something that I would put on and host in my Discord. I mean, I've done a screen marathon before. Screamathon, so like yeah, like oh, it's perfect. <laughs> That's really good. good. I would love like a like a poster, like a fake poster of oh, it. I would, oh, yeah, yeah that, that would be, be amazing. If Alamo yeah. Draft House, I I want the Alamo Draft House to do one of their like back to back to back to backs for Screen Five and recreate the Stabathon stuff, like oh, just for to market oh, it that like the way. Posters yes! in the lobby. Yeah. I think would they really would be cool. really great. Yeah. That'd be so good. And then we get, uh, I think, one of the really cool, if not the coolest, like pure slasher set piece is the idea of i'm not in your closet mm-hmm. it's just yeah. a classic scream it's really that's good. really good it is really good um this is arguably the most brutal death in all of the series yeah it is, it's horrifying it's I mean, really truly horrifying it's an intro it's cool i mean it's like a it's yeah it's disturbing it's violent uh you feel bad for olivia yeah and also it it feels like a declaration after the really kind of bloodless, weightless Scream 3, where we were talking about it on the show, characters are killed off, and it's like not, there's no weight to right. it. Yeah. Right. And there's a real sadness to this death in the same way that there's a real sadness to like Jada Pinkett's death in Scream 2. Right. <sighs> yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. It's, it's brutal, and I think it is, I think, I think it, it feels more violent and bloody because... Scream Three was such a like a kitten of a horror yeah. movie. You, know? it felt, you, you said it the other week. It felt more like Clue, right? Yeah, yeah, it feels like Clue. Yeah, where people are just getting stabbed in the back and there's no blood, and it's yeah. it's uh, silly and campy. And then you get to this one, you're like, Jesus Christ! There's so much blood. It's everywhere. Right when they, when like, Sydney goes to the crime scene, yeah. and opens a door, and there's just blood everywhere. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's horrifying. Was this the tagline of the poster? Welcome home, Sydney. I don't remember okay. but definitely uh, the trailer line for sure yeah but yeah this is the reunion of nev campbell and roger l jackson so is is roger l jackson being emma roberts in this moment or, or culkin uh i think she i think he's being uh i think he's being emma roberts okay that's awesome also the tagline on the poster is new decade new rules Oh, that's right. I ju- that's right. I literally just saw that on my Blu-ray. And that, I was like, huh. That okay. poster where <laughs> Ghostface's chin is a knife yeah. is great. It's oh, yeah? So you like good. that? I like it. it it's yeah. simple. It's bold. How do we feel about uh, Scriform? Scriform? Scriform. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was shocked watching it this time that it was on the title card. Like, yeah. that's, I was like, I just thought it was a marketing thing. And then it's all, literally on the title card. And I was like, wow, really? Okay. <laughs> it, it's no fan four stick, but it's, no, it's pretty fun true. to say. Yeah. 
It's a it's what elite, is? It's, it's, what is? it's elite speak. It it fits with the whole tech angle. That's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I didn't think about it from that angle, but you're totally right. I really liked how there there's like half a beat of breath. The audience is like not expecting, and Ghostface is in the house. Yeah. Jill gets her arm slashed. Yeah, yeah, that's good. It was like no, no, no breath. And then Trevor, the God, the, the way that Trevor's like, well, I just, I just came into the house. I didn't <laughs> yeah. even know. And like, I know you're not the killer. You're just like this character that has to be in the movie for some reason. <laughs> I'll be honest. The red herrings in this are really obvious, like really heavy handed. Yeah, I think. that's so like when I first watched this, this is how I didn't know who was the killer because the people who were set up to be the red herrings were so overt that it was like, there's no way that this person is actually the killer. Um, right. right. <laughs> like the Marley Shelton scene now just like sticks out as this weird, like, are we going to talk about that in the new scream? Yeah. <laughs> right. We cut to outside and we get this really weird, like the townspeople are gathered as Olivia's body is being pulled out on the gurney. And there's this bit of ADR where it's like, you're just like your mother. <laughs> what? <laughs> Oh, oh, to, to, to Sydney. Sydney? Oh, no, not at Olivia. The, yeah. Why is she just like her? What does this have to do with her mom? <laughs> People hate Maureen Prescott, man. God, they, they still do. I've 20, also, like, <laughs> that is the weirdest thing to me. Like, I have never understood, even with every revelation about this poor woman. Yeah. Why people hate her so much? Sixteen years later, and they're just furious. I wonder if it's like tall poppy syndrome, where they're like, "You went to Hollywood, and you failed, you stupid failure, <laughs> and now you're now you're sleeping around the town and just having a while." Well, I'm trying to be a, a a dad or a wife or whatever. I guess like, for me, I don't though, know. I'm like the woman was murdered. <laughs> Right, like, I know, but it's not just, enough. Even, like, if her mom was alive, then maybe it'd be like this dejected old Hollywood started starlet who nobody likes, but everybody is right. envious of. But she's dead in like a very horrible and gruesome way. Yeah, yeah. she seems to be this like tragic character that exists to be judged. God. Whether it's by the yeah. killers or random townspeople. Wouldn't it be great, though, if if in the new Scream movie, Maureen Prescott isn't mentioned, like, one time? Oh, like please. They just, please. It's just, we've all collectively moved on. It's been a long time. Yeah. Not to go into X-Men, but it's like the Weapon X of like, yeah. the Scream yeah. franchise. Yeah. Yeah. Please. It absolutely is. There's nothing, nothing more to say. Ugh. After watching, like, the most brutal Scream kill in history, mm-hmm. Oz and Perkins are being accosted by Dewey, and he's like, what happened? And they're like, oh, I went this way, and I ran that way. And he's like, ah, you knuckleheads, let's get out of here. Like, <laughs> no, like, a, a girl is dead. Yeah, because they not, didn't do their job. Yeah. I'm not saying there isn't a part in the movie where you see, like, they could have done something. But. Right. Yeah. It's not often that police are in a place where they can actually stop a yeah. crime. That so rarely happens right because all they can do is show up after the fact mm-hmm. most of the time and so you're in a situation where you can actually stop a crime from happening and you both just like screw off and do nothing uh that sucks that really sucks yep. you guys are terrible <laughs> classic Westboro. Uh, yeah <laughs> outside of the police station charlie is uh, streaming his show is called hall pass uh ronnie ronnie's ronnie or robbie Oh, yeah, Robbie. Yeah. Hall pass with Robbie Mercer. God. And Gail meets. <laughs> That's sorry. so cringe. It, it's so cringe, but y'all know people got show names like that right now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Twitch. I mean, like, real, real famous people are called 
like slush dog. Yeah. yeah. Right. And slush dog's like a millionaire. Right. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Gail meets these two nerds and uh, strikes a bargain with them in classic Gail Weathers fashion of like, you scratch my back, I scratch yep. yours. Mm-hmm. And like agrees to go to like their cinema club in exchange for like inside info. Yeah. I do miss Gail not having a cameraman. Like I wish, I wish she had just like, wish she gotten Robbie and just been like, hey. I need a cameraman. Yes. It's like Robbie is like going around with Gail being her cameraman. That would be <laughs> this. That would be uh, that would be great satire of this. Like I'm a I'm the new media web person. I don't need yeah. anybody. And then takes the first job that he gets. Yeah, yes. and like has to borrow camera equipment from the AV club at the high school or something. That would be that would have been great. I don't know. I I do miss her having a cameraman that she can like boss around for sure. Yeah, back at the hospital, Rebecca is elated to find out that like she's only gotten this has only helped Sydney star meter. She's getting even more deals and more offers. And uh Ghostface kind of calls Sydney out on like, how can you judge me? You're like making money off of this story and blah blah blah. And so Sydney's like, okay, this is bad. I don't want this. Like you're fired, Allison Bree. Mm-hmm. And then we get one of our second big kill set piece of the movie, like mm-hmm. the parking garage scene. Yeah. Bit more Hitchcockian, a bit more of like a thriller. Mm-hmm. Uh, more tension. This was uh, this was also one of the reshoots. It was pretty short before. It was her walking over to her car, the car shaking around, and then her running away from the car, and then Ghostface like chasing her into the door, and that was kind of it. And then they uh, they reshot it where she gets in the car and has that whole back and forth with Ghostface inside the car. What did you think of that? I like the addition. I think I think it. It builds up the tension a little bit more and and makes it more of a set piece, whereas before it was really just like a quick kill. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, that's downstairs. Dewey is giving a press conference of sorts. He's trying to get get control. He shuts down Gale, who's like kind of worked her way to the front of the line. And then Allison Bree's body is thrown out of the parking garage and lands on the hospital. He's kind of treating her (laughs) the way that Tatum treated him in the first movie. Yeah. Like where he's just like where where she's like, I'm what? I'm being a reporter. He's like, Can't we just talk at home? Like it's like <laughs> yeah. he's, he's, You're embarrassing me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just really funny. I don't know. Uh their dynamic is really funny in this movie. And the Allison the the body hitting the van, it, it feels big in like the Scream Two kind of way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because in Scream 3, like, a house explodes, and it almost feels like, I don't know if this is Scream. Yeah, it's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot in a minimalistic way, if that makes sense. Uh, It's it's done, for me, it's done to show that the killer has impact, but it's also something that a killer would do to show that they have impact. Versus blowing up up the... The house. <laughs> it it yeah. feels big in a grounded world. Yes. And not so big of a move that you're like, wait, how could two high school kids do yeah. this? Yeah. God, in retrospect, it is so weird that Scream 3 takes place in Los Angeles. That's so strange. What a weird That choice. entire movie is weird. Yeah. Yeah, like you're right. Taken as a whole, it's so much more about middle America or real America, like looking at Hollywood from a distance. Yeah. And how it kind of affects their lives, like the fissures of it. Right, right. I um, on I've always held that that movie would be a lot better if it actually took place in Woodsboro because they were doing research for like their method acting stuff. And like they were shooting oh. on location and I think it changes everything. Right. That's great. Yeah, like Parker Posey and Emily mm-hmm. Mortimer like in Woodsboro. Yep. Yeah, like I, I believe that's what the original plan was in that because Stab 3 was still a thing in the Kevin Williamson draft of Scream 3, but it was surrounded by like the these like 
deaths that were happening yeah. and that the deaths were happening in response to Stab 3 being an original story instead of based on something. Yeah. And yeah, I agree. I think that's what they should have done instead of doing this weird Los Angeles thing. Uh, Sydney visits Cinema Club the next day at Woodsboro High. We get this great scene where Sydney's like learning about like, wait, so you, you're recording this and then it goes live on the net? And they're like, yeah, <laughs> it goes live on the net. Sydney. It goes live yeah. on the net. The net, oh, something we haven't, we haven't God. called it the net since like 1995. And it was just um, that one year. Yeah. It was Matthew Lillard and actors. Exactly. Yeah. And the, and the net with Sandra Bullock. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah that movie came out and then we're like, I think we're all we're collectively done, done calling it the net. Right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, I like the cinema club scene. I like the little moment where the two Randys are like get, showing off their knowledge, but then like not to implicate him. Like, yeah, sorry. Uh, it's and then we get the new rules, the rules of remakes, right? Mm-hmm. Right, which are a lot more muddied than the Randy rules. Yeah, that's because these are not written by Kevin Williamson; they're written by Aaron Kruger. I, oh, there so it is. like yeah. and that like so them being muddy never bothered me because I thought that was just purposeful because that's how remakes are. Oh, yeah, yeah, interesting. Because that's how it feels sometimes. Because it's all double speak. Mm-hmm. If like prizes are the new expected. So you have to go all the way. And you're like, what does that mean? Yep. Yeah, right. Yeah. Cut back to uh, Jill's bedroom where we get the scene between Sydney and Jill where she's like, look, I know people say I know how you feel, but I actually know how you feel. And it's really cool because no one had been talking about Olivia. Mm-hmm. And that's clearly what Jill, what Jill is pretending to be upset about. And so Sydney being the, the survivor and also shades of like her role in Scream 3 of being able to talk to people. Right. That are going through stuff and they, they have like a heart to heart. And yeah, unlike the first viewing of the movie, I, you know, it, it reads as genuine. Yeah. I like that Sydney is an older person that doesn't want this new generation to go through what she went through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's like, I don't want you to know what this feels like. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Kirby goes to Stabathon. I, I really like Stabathon. It's a cool set. I want to be there. I like, I'm yeah. telling you, <laughs> Alamo Draft House, remake that for. Scream five, please. It it rules. I will say. I, I mean, it rules. I want to be there, and I want to be. I I agree with you. I want to go to like a scream marathon, or like, like a pop up where they actually rent out a barn. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But like in the context of the movie, oh, yeah. people cosplaying as literal victims in yeah. real murders yeah. is. One of the most horrifying uh, concepts I've ever thought of. Little I mean, bit. it's just have like, you been whoa. to the true crime section of podcasts? It's yeah, not that yeah. far out. Oh man, <laughs> well, this is—it's so interesting. You're right. the The idea of ownership, yeah, when there exists fandoms and quotes about like murders that happen. Yeah, well, so and that's like the weird thing too with Stabathon is like, and even just Stab as it exists. Are you a fan of the franchise or are you a fan and true crime person? Like there are two fandoms that exist around the one thing because again, time travel and stab five. Those are two obvious separations. And so you, you hit the stab fandom has to be terrifying because there are some people cosplaying as literal victims. And there are some people who are like, oh, time travel. That was my favorite one. And that's got to get. That's a really good point. The idea that there are, I think that's something that, hopefully the new one investigates further is the idea that there are people who are uh, obsessed or fascinated with the Woodsboro murders Mm -hmm. and come from that more true crime academic school of nerdery. And then there's like desensitized movie nerds 
that that are yeah best best or a good example uh american horror story fans with hotel where you have like richard ramirez and like all these serial killers literally sitting at a table in an episode versus the people who are actually listening to the true crime podcasts right mm-hmm. yeah the scene where all these character actors are playing these real life killers mm-hmm. and it's played very much for like ryan murphy camp yep. mm. And it's like these yeah. were, you know, these were but real I, murders but I, happened to real. I, I, not to detract from your point, but now I'm just like, damn, what does a stab fandom look like? Yeah, there's, there's so it's such a rich universe, and yeah. I think we've only scratched the surface of like it's almost like a Tarantino verse <laughs> of like what has this done to the culture. Mm-hmm. I will say though, I thought you were gonna say, why the hell is a high school doing this? <laughs> like yeah, how are they able to? Like, yeah, that, like, full. That's like a full production put on by the Alamo Draft House. That's not your school cinema club, right? It's like slightly more believable as like a frat event, yeah, like a Greek event almost. Yeah. College, yeah, yeah college, not a not high school. Well, I mean, presumably, maybe uh, Rory Culkin uh, killed his parents because, like, parents are nowhere to be found. <laughs> so, like, he could have killed their parents and just took all their money and then he spent it on fair. this. Very fair. And it's little stuff like that, Scott. Funny you mention it, that I think are why these a lot of these new characters don't feel as real. Mm-hmm. Like, you have the incredible moment where Matthew Lillard is like, oh, my mom and dad are going to be so mad at me. Right. And even that little moment just is like, oh, this is a real person. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a good yeah, point. Absolutely. I, uh, uh, look, I just had I just had a I just had a thought. I so I'm please, gonna, yeah. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna throw it out there. Scream five theory number two. Great. Let's let's pull let's pull our money. Let's put our money down. How, what are the odds that Gail Weathers is a true crime podcaster? Oh God! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is she a mix between that and also the kind of this new genre of legacy podcasting? Where it's like, I'm going to do a podcast about something that happened to me 15, 20 years ago. Sure. Like The Office and all that. I was going to say, other theory, uh, Gail and Sydney have officially buried the hatchets and the stabs and are doing a true crime podcast together where you have Gail essentially being the Conan O'Brien with her built-in fan base and Sydney, like, and they don't talk about Woodsboro. They talk about everything else. But Woodsboro, and that's the one thing they don't talk about. Wow, that wins for sure. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. They better yeah, do something with great. podcasting in the new one. They have to. <laughs> yeah, the new Halloween did. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Not not great, but <laughs> they did do <laughs> sure. it. Yeah. Uh, well, one detail I appreciated about the, the some of the background actors at Stabathon, they're like jocks, and they're wearing the Letterman, and it looks like the same Letterman that Steve was wearing in Scream. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The same colors. Yeah. And then listeners, we get like the intro. The two Randys are doing like a drink every time this quote, this trope happens. Wait, 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 wait. Oh my God. I just realized something. So there, so somebody is cosplaying as, as Casey at the Stabathon, but I just realized that Casey in Stab is wearing a robe and the, the girl who is cosplaying as Casey is wearing the sweater. The Drew Barrymore sweater. Like the Drew Barrymore sweater. So she is cosplaying as the literal victim, not the character in the Stab movie. Oh, shit. Wow, that's crap. horrifying. Okay, yeah. <laughs> the implications, <laughs> No. Yeah. So I think that answers your question it about does. what Stab fans are like. Yes, they had does. to... <laughs> that 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 character that extra had to have like gone and done research into what Casey was wearing. Yeah. Oh my god, that's horrifying. Yikes. <laughs> uh a, a much lighter detail 
our second kind of crossover foreshadowing with franchiseography. Yes. It's revealed that Stab, the first ever Stab, was directed by Robert Rodriguez. That was that was supposed to be a joke in Scream 2, and it got cut out. Oh, okay. And, and, and the, so now, after Kevin Williamson worked with Robert Rodriguez for The Faculty, not a great experience for Robert Rodriguez, but... You know, I think they had a good rapport, the two of them. And so, like, that carried What do you mean forward. I can't make enchiladas for the whole crew? <laughs> oh, no. But uh, that that's uh, that that then carried on over to here, and they got the joke into this movie. That's one of my favorite um, so- things, because I love Robert Rodriguez with all my heart, and I would live in a world where he just did uh, little <laughs> short films for each and every Stab movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He could. He could do it too. I hope weekend. he directed all of them. I hope. Yeah, I hope I in this too. world, this is a Robert. Rodriguez in my universe, franchise. I love working for studios. That means, <laughs> yeah. but that also means that Danny Trejo has was in a stab movie, the time travel one yeah. for sure. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. It feels so perfect because like, yeah, this would have been right around the time the faculty came out where he was still kind of maybe trying to do like studio stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a perfect detail. And then we get the return of Heather Graham as well. Mm -hmm. We get Gail setting up the different cameras and stuff throughout Stabathon. And she's like back in her car and she's like back in the game, baby. Like I'm doing it. Yeah. I love that moment where she first walks in and she puts the ghost face mask on and starts like Kind of, kind of dancing, doing like finger guns at people. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. I love it. But yeah, this is the second time someone has been attacked while the the Heather Graham scene from the first stab plays in the background. It's a cursed scene. Yeah, and they're reacting just as savagely. No, the stab scene, Nick. Oh my bad. Yeah, <laughs> and and then this audience is reacting just like the uh, the audience in Scream Two, where they're like cheering when she disrobes and like when the yeah. killer shows up. We get a conversation between Dewey and Gail where Gail teaches Dewey what meta means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I love the audience talking along with the word. I love the bit where they talk along with the, I don't know you, but I already dislike you or whatever. Yeah. Like that super lame line and they're all talking along with it. It's so funny. I've... You, I've been to midnight screenings for horror movies and this is exactly what yeah, it's like. And I love that's what I was going to say. Was like, so like Fantastic Fest is like bar none my favorite film festival because it is just genre fans for genre fans and whenever they do any of like the throwbacks or anything like the throwback mm-hmm. screenings it is just such a beautiful crowd they like sabathon yeah. minus the cosplay and his literal victims very much nails what it feels like to be there with other people yeah. that are in that space which like again I want to go to one minus. Yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. You know, it's funny, like taking at face value, if you replace the, yeah, the fact that these murders really happened in the universe of the movie, right. it really speaks to what can be so cool about horror mm-hmm. is it's this place where you can cheer for stuff like violence and like celebrate gore and actors that are killed off are almost like, yeah, because it's kind of understood that this is fantasy and this is pretend. Yeah, or like a bad acting or bad effects, you know? Like, I remember I saw um, I saw Evil Dead 2 at, like, this sold-out screening once. And the thing that I, threw me, I was like, I was not expecting it, is the, the shot comes up of the model bridge and the model car going across the model bridge. And it's so, it looks so stupid on the big screen. And everyone cheered when that shot came up. Like, the shot of the model bridge, the whole 
audience cheered. And I was like, what is th- what is this? What's going so on? So I'm, I'm currently in this dilemma because my birthday is in December, so I have a way out of plan. But I still don't feel totally comfortable going out with humans, even though I am fully vaccinated. So I want to run mm-hmm. out of theater and Draft House lets you rent them out. And they have a list of movies. And I'm trying to decide if I want to pick a very good movie that I've always wanted to see in theater, like maybe Jurassic Park, or pick an absolutely terrible movie that will just be fun mm-hmm. to watch with other people because yeah. of those terrible not that evil dead 2 is terrible but like just those little terrible moments so you can like yeah. cheer for them like yeah 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 no, yeah the two the two experiences yeah it's- for sure like cats the two genders okay no <laughs> not cats that's <laughs> okay, too that far cats, for sure too far yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, you would I, never stop cheering, Nick. I mean, it would just be, it would just be continuous from frame one to the uh, credits for sure. Uh, one of those damn cameras goes out. Gail runs in. You know the drill. She gets chased through Stabathon and is stabbed. Mm-hmm. Is this her most severe hit to date in the series? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, before the reshoots, she was dead. Like this was this was gonna kill her, and uh, and then they did the reshoots, and they they had the the Trinity survive again in the reshoots, but uh, originally it was just supposed to be Dewey, right? So yeah. yeah, it's I'm of two minds about it. I mean, Gail's such a great character, and I feel like she still has so much. She doesn't feel done yet. Yeah, and yet it it's weird that Scream Five we are starting from like a very similar position as we did in 2011. Yeah, there's something yeah. so. I, I mean, it's it's upsetting every time I watch it, but there is something so special about the death of Randy sort of setting a tone yeah. of, like, no one is safe. Don't believe that any of your faves yep. are safe, you know? Yeah. And then Scream 3 just completely undoes that. And then, to a certain extent, so does this one. And and that's uh, that's that's kind of a bummer yeah. with these sequels, is that they killed off so many of the main cast of characters from that first movie right off the bat that you kill one and now there's only three and it's like what are we going to kill another one like that feels like a lot right that feels excessive but yeah it's a result of scream being such a singular series in horror right i think it has a it has a it has singular problems as a result (laughs) right there's no roadmap like other sequels right right exactly Uh, cut back to sydney prescott detail where uh, oz and perkins are talking about how cops and movies are screwed and uh, they're always the first to die Mm -hmm. unless you're bruce willis and then they uh, they go out and uh, are killed. Uh, the four wait, yeah, no, it, it just it just happens. Yeah, right? yeah. Ghostface just runs up behind Seth Cohen, uh, Adam Brody, and yes. uh, kills him. <laughs> and then we get the forehead kill, which is like startlingly startlingly violent. It is. It's also startlingly silly. Yeah, the, the well, fuck Bruce Willis thing is. Really it weirdly silly. tries to have it both ways. Yeah, yeah. Because um, it's like Anthony Anderson's yeah. like reaction to being stabbed is so like human, and his stumbling is so realistic, and you're like, oh god, like I wasn't expecting this funny character to, and then he has like a joke at the very end, right, right. It's kind of the movie in a nutshell. It really is. It's also like Anthony Anderson though, so like <laughs> yeah. the joke, the joke fits in that sense, but it also is weird given how brutal that kill is. Right. Yeah. yeah. Wes Craven, I guess, was watching like a medical emergency show and saw 
a story about someone getting stabbed in the head and walked themselves to the hospital and talked to the doctor and then died later when, after they pulled the, the, the knife out of his head. <laughs> and uh, and so he was like, yeah, so like this has a basis in reality. Uh, but I, I still definitely thought I was going to get fired when these dailies what came in. <laughs> yeah, it's, so, it's, it's bloody. Yeah, yeah. They're really making up for a lost movie. Yeah, definitely. Sydney is inside with her aunt. I love relaxed Sydney Prescott. We've never really gotten it before, to yeah. be honest. She's like pouring tea. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's always like kind of dialed up to 11 after the first couple of murders in Scream. Mm-hmm. And then every movie after that, it's just like, ah, what's going yeah. on all the time. So her and her aunt are watching TV. And there's this moment where the anchor is reporting live from Stabathon on the news. And he's like, what is well, it? I thought Stabathon was supposed to be a secret location. Like, how are the media there? <laughs> Like the cryon says, like Stabathon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so stupid. And he says that Gail Cox, right? He or he, but he says like AKA Gail Weathers, and I'm like, is that how you Gail say Riley. it? Gail Riley. Gail yeah. Gail Riley. Yeah. yeah. Cox. Yeah. Gail Riley. Uh, I don't know. It was a weird moment. Yeah. Gail Gail Riley, all, a- AKA Gail Weathers. <laughs> It's like it's not her alias. Yeah. Was, <laughs> yeah. He's legally married to. Yeah. Uh, we get another Ghostface call where Ghostface kind of taunts Sydney about her family and how it's only going to get more personal from here. Yeah. What's the cost of being a survivor? I will say that line about Gail Weathers, Gail, Gail Riley, it really does bother me because I don't believe for an absolute, even a millisecond, that Gail would take Dewey's last name. No way. No way. Oh, hey! No, uh-uh, no. There would be, nobody would even know what Dewey's last name is if they didn't live in Woodsboro, yeah. and they would in no way no, call her no that. Way. She wouldn't no, even no hyphenate. Um, no. so. can't, can't hurt the brand. Yeah, it's Too one strong. of the most unbelievable parts of this movie. And this it features a scene of a man getting stabbed in the head yes. and saying, fuck Bruce Willis before dying. So, Forever. <laughs> <yeah>. Yes. <laughs> uh, we get another kill right after that, where Sydney's aunt is uh, stabbed through the back of a mail slot. Yeah. And it it's like again, it felt brutal in the in the right way. It felt from the same school of creativity as the knife going through Omar Epps's ear in Scream Two, mm-hmm. where it's gruesome in its specificity, mm-hmm. but it's still like, oh, you could imagine someone really dying like that. Who who killed her mom? Do you think do you think she did it, or do you think that she had Rory, Rory Culkin do that one? I think she did it. I think I think I personally think if it was yeah. somebody that she had a connection to, she did it. That's yeah. true. Like. Homegirl's messed up. That that was established. I think she did all the personal ones. Yeah, I think Rory Culkin is the one at the Stabathon who attacked Gail. I think I think uh, Emma Roberts. Yeah, killed her own mom. Like the Culkin is just the kind of the throwaway. He's there yeah, to he's do the, the stuff that she doesn't yeah. want to yeah. do, and and she's gonna want to do those things. He, in his mind, he is the Randy, but in actuality, he's the Stu. Right, right. Each, yeah. oh, each, uh, each, each. You know movie has a mastermind and a lackey except for scream three though he was supposed to have a lackey um in the form of emily mortimer <laughs> but they cut that out of the movie but uh yeah they each have a mastermind and a, and a always and a, two there are yeah always two there are <laughs> yeah uh, deputy uh, a master and a lackey <laughs> right De- deputy judy arrives finds <laughs> president Rosalind's body and then she's like what happened sydney's already gone the president's dead the president's dead <laughs> <laughs> Mad sus. Yeah. And Gail's getting dragged out of Stabathon on the hospital bed, air stretcher, and we get this sweet moment where Dewey's like, you and me forever. We've been at each other's odds the whole movie, but like, we're never doing that again. That's adorable. I just want to hug Dewey. Not for sure. 
No, Gail and Dewey forever. I hope they're not divorced like Scott wants them to be in Scream. Uh, I didn't say I want it. I don't want it. No. I know. Judy needs to take her little lemon squares and go home. Would it be even weirder if it's exactly the same situation after 10 years? Judy's just still making lemon squares. Yeah, that's what I mean. No, I think, I think they're married. I think they got a divorce after this. I think they're married. But I think that their relationship is going to rekindle in the movie, I think, is what's going to happen. Uh-huh. But. Yeah, because like you know, who's going to be satisfied with Judy Hicks as their wife? I don't know. We uh, not, not Dewey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we cut back to Kirby's house. Kirby's got a cool house. I really like her living room. Yeah, and, and there. Are, so we have this meta conversation yeah. where the Culkins like you th- would think that the finale would be at Stabath. I know I can't remember which one it is. The Culkin, Rory. <laughs> Rory. Is Rory. it Rory? Yeah, it's Rory Culkin. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, yeah, you would have thought that the finale would have been at Stabathon, but now it's going to happen here because it's like, you know. Just like the OG. Yes. Yeah. And this is when we get Kirby hitting on, like, the, the sparks are kind of flying where it's like, oh, is this more mutual than we thought? Yeah. Uh, then Trevor comes in. Literally, nobody wants Trevor at the party. Everyone <laughs> wants him to leave. Nobody wants Trevor <laughs> in the movie. Um <laughs> Uh, and we get Dewey's like speeding away and then Judy calls and it's like Sydney's aunt's dead and she's gone and Dewey gets his bitchin like spin yeah does a donut maybe the coolest thing he does in the series (laughs) maybe yeah he kind of lucks into everything else. He at least wanted to do that move. Uh, yeah, uh, we find out that like it is mutual. Uh, or you know Kirby's like, hey, idiot, I'm drunk enough and like you're cute like let's do this and Corkin's like oh my god and then trevor comes and ruins everything right they're watching stab seven so we see lucy hale again (laughs) and then we cut back to uh gosh robbie yeah robbie yeah i would have liked a moment if we could cut to his screen we could see that he had like an audience of zero people and he was like streaming yeah yeah and then we get uh i think uh, kind of like a memorable (laughs) moment in the movie where uh, he gets attacked by Ghostface. he's on the ground and he's like wait like i'm gay because they established that like that could be like the only the only way you're gonna survive a horror movie these days is if you're gay yeah and then like it doesn't work is he, is it, I don't yeah. know. It's like, is that technically the first out character in this? No, frame? because he says if it helps. If so it helps. I think he's lying. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm pretty sure he's lying. Cool. Yeah. If it helps. Um, it's yeah, kind of, that's, yeah. that felt like Scream 3 energy to me. Yes. There is a, Definitely. so there is a Stab 6. Stab 6 exists. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, Sydney arrives. <laughs> All the boys are gone. They find Robbie. Robbie's like been stabbed a lot. They find him outside of the house. Mm-hmm. And then we cut back to Kirby's bedroom. Kirby has a Tremors poster, which I thought was really cool. Mm. Yeah. Kirby's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I love Kirby. I want to be Kirby. No, for sure. I, I, I just imagine being that self-assured in high school. Um, just imagine. Yeah. God. Uh-huh. Also, a de- deceptively Can't complex hairstyle. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. You think it's a bob, but then you see it in like close-ups, yeah. and there's like layers and like shades to it. Yeah, yeah. Is it? Is, is she have an undercut? Something like a that. Yeah, I don't know. There's some. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on with her hair. It rules, but <laughs> it's a. It's complex for yeah. sure. Uh, Ghostface attacks. Sid hangs off the roof, then falls off the roof. Mm-hmm. They run back inside, and then Kirby has to undergo a Sydney Prescott final girl rite of passage. Of like, oh no, the cute boy is through the screen door, but I don't know that he's not the killer. I can't let him in. Right. True. And then yeah. Ghostface. It's a, yeah, it's classic. It's, happened, it's literally happened to Sidney Prescott like every movie, I think. <laughs> yep. Here's the cutie you're crushing on. Do you 
Do do you risk it? Uh, Charlie is knocked out <laughs> by Ghostface, and we it's revealed that they are remaking the cold open of Stab. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, you know with uh, Kirby has been cast as yeah. Casey, mm-hmm. and the Colk uh, uh, Charlie has been cast as <laughs> the Colkin. <laughs> As the cast is Steve. The Colkin? And we get the thing that was like in every trailer of the movie, like the new quiz. Right. Uh, and Kirby flies through it. Yeah. Yeah. Name the remake of the, and then just, just all of them. Um, and then in the trailer, there's yep. like, they do a cut where they put none of the above as if that's the answer to that question. And I remember right. being like, that's a cool joke that's not in the movie, but yeah. it's yeah. a cool trailer joke. Yeah. It's a good scene. I'm glad that they held on her. I, it's, I'm really impressed with Hayden Panettiere to be able to like, rip all those off in a row with no cuts that's like really impressive how fast she goes yeah. through that list yeah it also makes me happy it was funny i had i was on a pop culture podcast or a pop culture quiz show podcast and the final quiz was a lightning round where they essentially gave you like a sentence for you to figure out a movie and it was for halloween so they were all horror theme and you got to pick your decade and i did the tens and i was like this is my kirby moment uh, and it was i still lost kirby. but i got nice. all of them right so that was great <laughs> yeah like i haven't watched nashville um, but I think this is like like my favorite Hayden Panettiere performance. Yeah, she is very good in, in at least the first yeah. season of Nashville. Um, before it got, I like her in Heroes. Yeah, oh for sure. Yeah. But like, yeah, like she plays, she gets to play such an interesting character in this. It's a shame that we haven't seen more. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. Well, she's she's more complex. Like, and and she's very much. Again, I really like her because. For Kirby, like the tropes that she's embodying aren't necessarily tropes that are assigned to women most right. of the time. And that's something that I really, really like. Yeah. yeah, like there's there's like bits of Randy in her, but then there's also a lot of like what we liked about Stu. This mm-hmm. kind of like carefree space cadet, like you said. Yep. That can sometimes be like, oh, did I say something wrong? My bad. Yeah. Know. There's a lot of Tatum. Yep too in her yeah. yeah she i think is emblematic of how i feel as like someone who's getting older when i look at kids today like teenagers i i do think about how they're able to defy easy convention and yeah. occupy different roles and spaces and like not just be masculine or feminine or not just be a geek or yep. a jock right oh 100 100 yeah, 100%. yeah. Put- kirby rules and i wish you know hey we didn't see her die Right. She was still moving yep. when we li- when we li- when we Oh my leave. god. If she was like the Letty of, yeah. of Scream. Oh my god. If that she shows amazing, up in the new please. movies. Oh, please. Yes. Yeah. So, uh she she wins the game but she loses because she makes the fatal mistake of still believing that Charlie is innocent. Right. And fr- yeah. frees him and then she stabs him or you know, he stabs her. And yeah, we don't see a body. And yeah, like now that you I've never thought about I didn't know that earlier, but it's so clearly not like a death scene in a Scream movie. Right. Yeah. And I think it's also why I felt like this character is done so dirty is because she doesn't even get like a glorious death scene. Well, she doesn't get a glorious death scene because it was in her contract that she wouldn't die. Oh. Hayden P- oh. Panettiere. She was in her contract that she wouldn't die because she signed the contract to be part of the trilogy. And then when Bob changed all that, you know, that was still in her contract. And so they could not shoot her actually dying. So there is always a chance for her to come back, thankfully. That's amazing. Yeah. Awesome. This is when the Jill, the Jill reveal happens. And I think there's a really strong argument to be made that Jill is the best villain of the series. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love it because it's self-serving in a different way that Billy was self-serving because Billy was just chaos. Yeah. Like, he was just chaotic evil. And... 
she is methodical. Mm -hmm. Like, she's lawful evil. Like, everything that she does is going to have a reaction. She's going to know what that reaction is going to do, and it's going to push her towards where she wants to be. There's a solid plan, and it's not just mayhem. And I think, and I, I also think that, like, she's the strongest, too, because she doesn't have an unhinged moment, really, until, like, the end end, if you even want to call it that. That was just more her getting mad for not getting away with it. But, like, she doesn't have the creepy now Skeet Ulrich is just crazy. Like short, moment. like short like, fuse. Right. Exactly. And I think that that's what makes her terrifying and it's what makes her a good, a good killer. Yeah. 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 Like that scene that finds such interesting ways to echo scream one, where it's revealed that Jill is this kind of hybrid of Billy and Sydney. And mm-hmm. I remember watching this for the first time and being really discomforted in a really cool way mm-hmm. of like wait who's yeah. the protagonist what's happening right now who am i supposed to be rooting for yeah. yeah yeah no it's it's great and she is great and she does she she pulls out such a great performance it's unfortunate that i think emma roberts has sort of like been sent into like the camp the, the the camp caves, the camp mines. The Ryan Murphy mines. Uh, yeah, the Ryan Murphy mines where she's just yeah. doing she's doing camp and she's doing, you know, indie features that sort of don't go anywhere and don't really play to her strengths, you know? Because I think she is a really great actress and if given a, a, a real shot, I think she could be something really, really great. Um, yeah, well she's in the Black Coat's daughter, and the Black Coat's daughter's one of my favorite horror films in existence, and she's phenomenal. Oh, okay. uh, Karen and Shipka as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Yeah. So I would watch that, but that's that's like the only thing that we really have where she takes that really serious mm-hmm. piece. Yeah. Like, yeah. You're completely right. She's all in camp. Land. And I, you know, and I'm a fan. Like it varies. Like I love AHS, uh, uh, the witch one. <laughs> I forget what it's called. Coven. A uh, coven. coven. Yeah, I think that's a really yeah. fun season of AHS. I really like Scream Queens. And yeah. you're, you're, you're right. You mentioned earlier, Kate, this is kind of like weirdly, she became a scream queen after this movie in the wake of this yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. And it kind of feels like as good as she is still kind of feels like underused in, in this, most yeah. because of the ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I like that scene. It's like we, the reveal that the Culkin, <laughs> geez Louise, that, the Culkin. that Charlie is in on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like they're back and forth of like this narrative that they've created. And yeah, it feels like it is. Jill feels like this is her way of getting fame. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the other thing, too, is it's very clear. So, like, the the dynamic between Stu and Billy, what I loved is it was very clear that Billy had manipulated Stu. Mm-hmm. And that's that's very clear here, too. But I think in a more nefarious way, almost. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's, like, zero respect. There. Yeah. Whereas, like, where Billy and Stu, there's, like, a sort of... Like a Bonnie and Clyde quality. Yeah. There's, like, that yeah. that quality to it where he's just like, look, this guy's an idiot, but he did do a good job. You know, we did exactly. a good job together. But here, she's just like, okay, I'm done with you now. Yeah. And then just stows yeah. in the like, heart, you know? Yeah, like Kate said, there's a, there's a methodical... There's a long game to Jill's plan. Yeah. That yeah. she reminds me of, like, you hear these stories of actresses that had a PowerPoint for their career or a whiteboard when the time there were six of like, I want to go to yeah. Hollywood or I want to be in and I want to do this. And like, she knows that there's this really cool scene where she's uh, after everyone is dead, supposedly it, it, she's like just tr- trashing herself and stabbing herself. And, and it, I was like, Oh, she's become an auteur. Yeah. Yeah. 
She's yeah. she's like a girl making a TikTok on her phone where she gets to be the director and the editor and the actor. Yeah. Right. Right. Oh God, it's so good. And that that bit of her just like crawling up next to Sydney and fixing her hand to be just like Sydney. Mm-hmm. God, it's so good. We get the ending, so to speak, of her getting carried away. Yeah. And the hospital stretcher, the camera fades out of like, oh, she's the only survivor. It's a it's a miracle. It's a story. And then we get the Aaron Kruger ending at the hospital. Yeah, yeah, with the hospital. I love the detail of when Dewey uh, wakes Jill up at the hospital bed, when she's still out of it, and she's like, oh, when you talk to Gail, like, we should collaborate. We should work on the book together. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, she's, like, still on. Yep. Right. Yeah, there's an alternate version of Dewey being the one, because remember, they shot two versions of every Dewey scene, and there's one version where he figures out that Jill is the killer, not Gail. Um, in that scene with Gail, where the matching um, wounds, yeah, with the matching wounds, but yeah. it's not about the matching wounds. He realizes, like, yeah, no, I mean, you know, she really wanted to, you know, she was like really worried about you and and wanted to make sure that you were okay and mentioned your men- matching your matching wounds and all of that. And then he starts to put it together, and he's like, because she wants to write a book with you because she's the killer and like runs yeah. out of there and like gail is like what's going on and he was like jill's the killer and then like leaves the the room but they they replaced it with the gail figuring it out because i figured they were like she's been through enough she should get get a win here yeah <laughs> it's a great like colombo moment of yeah like oh that's right yeah why would she know about the matching wound yeah yep I like the moment where she, like, just Jill says, like, to Sydney, like, who do you think you are, Michael fucking Myers? Yeah. Um, this whole series, one of my, so good. yeah, one of my favorite things is how even Sydney takes on the role of the killer and something, like, by wearing the suit or yeah. like, orchestrating, like, a haunted house. And Jill seems like such an evolution of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's also like this evolution of a final girl in a sense, because like the, the hallmark of a final girl is that she's terrorized and isn't a victim. And then in the last act for the last scene, she has to take up the killer's power and then kill the killer with what she had to survive. Right. Um, and you, you see that in there. And then it's like, well, what if the final girl was actually the killer the whole time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, this is uh, the finale to me is it's entertaining. Mm. I I think the the defibrillator kill, it like you know yeah. I got one more word for you clear, but it is like just very scream three, very like your turn to scream motherfucker, yeah. yeah, like trying to be cool, right, right, and then we get like don't fuck with the original, yeah. Oh god, I hate that line. Uh, <laughs> I remember if I can like I really do, like it. I really don't like it at all. <laughs> well, it's so you know it's bad, it's awful, yeah. Oh, I also really like it. So, <laughs> Fair enough. if I can go back to where I was in 2011, before knowing about any of the Weinstein stuff, mm-hmm. what I took it to be as is <clears throat> the authors of this series, like Wes Craven, Kelly, Kevin Williamson, and to a lot of extent, uh, Nev Campbell, being like, no, this doesn't get to be an endlessly yeah. rebootable franchise. Same. Sydney is Scream. Mm-hmm. Yes. And there's a part of me that really appreciates that. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Same. As much as I do want, like, two sequels of, like, Emma Roberts on the run. I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that about me till today, but I want it. Yeah, the the original, I guess the original edit before they went back for reshoots was, like, 
the the hospital scene uh like she arrives at the hospital and they're pulling in the gurney and that's when you get the shot of her getting like the camera flashes and everything as she's going into the hospital rather than into the ambulance like it is in the movie now and as she's going in there you hear the reporters talking about her being a hero and all of that the way the movie ends now yeah. only it doesn't end with her dead face yeah there's kind of like <laughs> and i even really like there's a dark nihilistic like it's a f- cool final frame of the scream series for a while of like mm-hmm. she's an american hero and she's yeah. like dead and the villain right but who knows in the narrative of the movie in scream 5 jill could be remembered oh no she's not because they were like oh she's a monster yeah yeah she's a monster mm-hmm. but but yeah like the fact that they're like oh all american hero like that was how it was going to end and it was just going to be like oh my god she got away with it and what an all american hero like yeah, this clout yeah. hungry murderer i'm just like oh man what an ending that would have been what a what a sucker punch of an ending I, i'm very interested to yeah. see what scream 5 does with jill's legacy mm-hmm. yeah yeah it'll be interesting to see. i hope they don't throw it away mm-hmm. that's kind of my biggest fear my my biggest fear for screen five is that it's going to come in to be the thing that that four was supposed to be uh-huh. And in doing that, what a lot of horror movies do, undercut the thing that came before it that mex- that messes up the continuity. Right. Yeah, you know, like I guess like closing it down now that we've we've reached the end, but we know that there's like a next chapter like on the way. Mm-hmm. I think a lot about what we want these remakes and legacy sequels, what kind of relationship we want them to have with the originals. I, I mean, like yeah. we just got done watching these three Star Wars movies for the past like ten, five years, and. Yeah. I enjoyed all three of those movies a lot to varying degrees, but I, my favorite parts of those movies were the new characters. Right. Yeah. And I thought a lot of times those new characters were hobbled by our love for these iconic old characters. Yeah. When we look at like the sequel trilogy in Star Wars, I really don't like The Last Jedi. And a lot of it was because it was purposefully undoing a lot of what was supposed to be done. One, in J.J.'s original plans, especially with Finn. So undercutting characters that had something established Mm. that was supposed to happen. And then also, I don't like it that it's been championed from like some parts of the fandom as like a giant a few to Star Wars fans. It's like, but you're a Star Wars fan, like, <laughs> and like there is a place for that. But if they're going to do like, there's not a place for that in series that have strong continuity and are supposed to flow together. Mm-hmm. Halloween. Do whatever the hell you want. That thing's been rewritten like three, four times. Like, that's fine. But when it is supposed to be telling a story with other pieces, that's where you lose me when you do that type of thing. Mm -hmm. It's a respectable thing to do. But when you do it, like, when you're supposed to be talking and taking pieces of, of everything back... That's what's weird to me. And it's not to say that I don't think that, like, oh, the original trilogy has to be respected. No. Like, my favorite parts of the the new movies were the new people, right? Like, I loved them the most, and I'm happy we got a lot of them. But that said, I, I think for a franchise that has been carried by the originals... And has had them play such an integral part, we can't have somebody come in and be like, middle fingers up, right to Wes Craven and doing whatever the hell they want. And that's my fear. Right. Right. Yeah. Luckily, we kind of have a version of that exists with the Scream series, Mm -hmm. which does kind of like blank slate. Let's just not touch any of it. Well, so and and the thing is, is like it could work, but you have to do right by the characters, because kind of like we've said, 
the relationships and the intimacies between the characters that we've watched go through this whole series. Mm-hmm. How do you blank slate it without undercutting all the trauma that we just saw all the characters go through, all of the depth that we just saw all the characters get? And how do you do it in a way that feels rewarding for Scream fans? Because now everybody's bought in with the original cast. I mean, I could see a world where the new Scream movie offs everybody in the first scene and that's the cold open and then you go into that and that's the blank slate. But so much of, and I guess that's what happened with the rewrites for Scream 4, that we get, like, Sydney's the linchpin. Right. It still has to revolve around her in some way. Right. Yeah, the reasons we're, we've been talking about Scream 5 this episode and are excited about it is like, oh, what's what's Gail up to? What's Dewey up to? Like, yeah. We could give a shit who the killer is or what yeah. the plan is. Yeah. Right, right. I do think it's interesting, though, and does give me hope that if you look at the cast of the new Scream, there's not a lot of like teenage... Uh, type actors in the cast yeah. like it it's all like kind of like very much you know yeah. mid mid to late 20s early 30s and making actors. moves like bringing back randy's sister yeah. bringing yeah. back deputy judy it makes me think that they really are going to do something different that you know i think we already know that that Stu's house plays a part in the movie because of the the cast shot that they did like yeah. on the last the rap day was like in front of the the stew house, the mocker house. Um, yeah. And, and so like, we know that that's going to be uh take that. There's going to be something to do with that. Yeah. But outside of that, we don't really know anything about the movie from a plot yeah. standpoint. And I find that really exciting. It could be a monster house situation. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I, I do really like that. We might not be going back to high school for this. Um, just yeah, because I too. we've done it twice now. So. Yeah. yeah. No, I do too. And I do think Scream 4 gives us a really good foundation that you can introduce new characters that people will love if you do it right. Yeah. And you can still do justice to old ones right, too. Right, right, yeah. Bring Kirby back. Just bring, bring Kirby back and I don't care what you do. Yeah, that, I'll be happy. Yeah, that's, that's all to say, like, bring Kirby back. Do it. Yeah. Yes. Oh, man. Yeah. So, so ends our second miniseries on the show. Yes. Uh, this was a really fun ride. I think that all four of these... You know, to a lesser extent, three, but there's they're just so rich. And I think there's a reason that we go back and watch them like every Halloween. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 They're comfort. They're like comfort food. They are. And I think it's because it, I really feel like Scream is a franchise. It it exists for people who love horror in a different way than other slashers. Yeah. It exists because you're supposed to like they're talking to you. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to see yourself in there playing with the rules. You're supposed to be in there you know, playing in the horror toy box the same way that, like, they are. And they're they're expecting you to. Yeah. And I think that, like, it's what forms almost like a personal connection with them. And it makes them something that you can just keep going back to even when you know who the killer is. Because it's like, yeah, this is my movie. Like, I'm in here and I see it. Especially for, you know, for for just fans of film or, or the genre in general. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the reason that I love the series so much is because it's, I mean, it's arguably the only slasher film where you actually care about the characters and, like, yeah. feel like they're kind of your friends the way that, like, uh, characters in no- regular movies yeah. where people don't die, you know, every 20 minutes. Which is feel. a big part of a lot of classic comfort yeah. movies is, yeah. like, I want to hang out with those characters again. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. I, I can't wait to revisit these characters uh, in January. I am... Um, so pumped for that new yeah. screen movie. And we should say that one of the, the rules of this podcast is going to be once we've covered a franchise, as soon as a new entry in that franchise comes out, we are going to 
we have drop an episode ev- about. Yeah, we drop everything yeah. in the middle of the series that we're doing, and we cover yeah. right. Scream 5. Although it's not going to be called Scream 5, apparently. Yeah, it's, it's just called Scream 2022, or, you know, whatever, with the parentheses. Um, yeah, <laughs> just Scream. You could have put a 5 where the S was. I don't know. Yeah, like Scraform. Yeah. Scraform. <laughs> Um, Uh, Speaking of made-up words, uh, Scott, do you want to tell listeners that they still have time to send in their scrammeries? Oh, yeah. Send in your scrammeries. We'll do a between-a-sode next week. So uh, make sure that you you send in um, any uh, memories or thoughts or theories you might have about Scream 5 or thoughts you have on the Scream franchise or memories you have from seeing them. Send those in because we've got a between-a-sode next week where Nick and I will be reading those on the show as well as announcing our new nominations for our fifth miniseries. Spy Kids won our fourth miniseries uh, uh, breakdown. Um, so we'll be covering the Spy Kids franchise. Yeah, we're going to be doing That's that amazing. right after X-Men. It was a landslide grassroots victory. Yeah, it was crazy it was hell yeah yeah it was it was crazy (laughs) so i can't wait to see where the new the new uh uh franchise nominations take us with our uh fifth mini series but we'll be announcing that on our between episode next week and you'll want to stay tuned to our uh twitter at franchiseography to vote in all of those polls and do all of that uh kate where can people find you on the internet either writing or uh listening to your your voice on another podcast yeah, so you can find me at Oh My Mithrandir on Twitter. That's where I'm most active for everything, especially for film, uh, for film stuffs. And I write uh, for as well as I'm editor in chief of ButWhyThoughPodcast dot com. Um, and you can follow us on Twitter at ButWhyThoughPC. And we do like movie nights in our Discord and stuff. And I will say, if you're a Scream fan, we will probably do another Scream <laughs> marathon for Halloween because it's kind of like a comfort movie for our community as well. It's been requested. Like I think every time. Since, since the Discord feature has been around, like the probably like the last couple, yeah, we, we've we've watched Scream Scream multiple times. Oh wow, um, yeah, because like one was for Halloween and one was because we were doing horror nights, and I found out that like three people hadn't seen Scream one, and so I was like, okay, well we're gonna watch Scream one and two, and that's gonna be our horror night. <laughs> um, and then we did like the marathon stuff. And if you want to get involved with that, that's at Discord.gg/slash. But why though? B t w h y t h o Nice. Awesome. And uh, thanks so much for, for being our guest and, and helping us uh, wind down this miniseries. Thank you for having me on. This was a lot of fun. And I haven't talked about Scream on a podcast before. So this this makes me happy. Oh, nice. We oh, got an great. exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, uh, guys. Thanks so much for listening. And of course, support us on Patreon if you want. DuelingGenre.com slash support. Become a Patreon supporter and you will gain access to our brand new Patreon exclusive show, Franchise Potential, which will uh, air new episodes the same day as any between episodes on the main feed. Uh, so check that out. We'll have one out next week. Our first franchise potential, which is a podcast about movies that were supposed to be a franchise and uh, didn't end up working out that way. Um, And uh, we have a good idea of what our first one is going to be. Hopefully it works out. Um, I don't want to say what it is in case we have to change, uh, but uh, it'll be a really good one. You'll want to hear it. So uh, support us on Patreon at DuelingGenre.com slash support. And if we get over 100 Patreons, then we will be adding a bonus show to the main feed, which is what that cursed episode you guys heard last week was a preview of. So check that out. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.